Hello, it's 3rd of February 2018, and this is episode 57 of Scavengers Ward, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. We're here to deliver a regular rundown of Star Wars news, analysis, and commentary, with a focus on the sequel trilogy and the future of the saga. So, how are you doing, Kirsty? I'm doing well. Um, Good. I watched Revenge of the Sith last night. Oh, uh, nice. Yeah, it had been a while, but I'd been thinking a lot about Anakin and Padme. Um, from... oh, I wonder why. Well, okay. So, <laughs> we record. Well, I recorded um, on the Meta Machina podcast last week um, about hero and villain ships in Star Wars. So we were talking a lot about Anadala, mm-hmm. and then we'll talk about it a bit later. But Ryan Johnson was asked a few questions at his Collider interview after a movie screening this week of The Last Jedi. So it's been on my mind a lot. And I was thinking about the novelization because I'd recommended that on the show for people last week because um, it's it's really, really great. People should go read it. Yeah. And um, yeah, so watching the movie, having seen, I, I read that novelization now and I hadn't watched it again since. And watching it now, it's like, wow, there is just just all these extra layers. Um, the novelization's written so well and you really get these in-depth looks at how much Anakin feels for everyone around him. Um, yeah. Obviously, that includes Padme, but it's not just her. It's Obi-Wan, Palpatine, and everyone else as well. So, yeah, the feels. Yeah, I do think that Revenge of the Sith novelization might well be my favourite Star Wars book. I have read quite a few, and I think that's just the best one, like sucking you into the character's psyche. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Like, I'm really excited for the Last Jedi novelization, but I don't even dare to dream that it will be as good as that. Yeah. If it is... I will be so, so happy, but I don't know how it could be beaten. Yeah. God, imagine if they got... Is it Matt Stover who wrote Revenge of the Sith? Yeah. Imagine if they got Matt Stover to write the novelization. I would die, like, from happiness. <laughs> I don't think I've done much Star Wars-y this week, because the movie is very much like heading out of cinemas here now. I did see it for the last time in IMAX at the Science Museum, which is, like, time two seeing it there, and that was incredible. It's always my favorite place to see the movies so yeah i'm really happy i got to see it there and i think i'm happy to leave it at that because yeah it's just the best format to see it in like 70 millimeter imax 2d mm-hmm. oh, bliss <laughs> <laughs> um and today just very quickly a non-star wars thing i saw a film called journey's end which is directed by Saul dib and i think it's only out in the uk right now but it's a really really powerful and moving like movie about world war one and I'd really recommend it. Um, obviously, there's nothing really to do with Star Wars, but it did remind me a little about Adam Driver's causes. He's obviously involved with um, arts and the armed forces and trying to help soldiers integrate back into civilian life. And I think Journey's End did a really good job of showing you like how cloistered and intense and traumatic being in that experience of war is. And yeah, I just found it really powerful and moving. So if anyone listening to this can see that film, I would very much recommend it. Okay, and then to get that PSA out of the way, because I'm sure <laughs> you're not here to hear about World War One films, we're here to hear about Star Wars! Um, <laughs> I will move into the news. And just so everyone is aware, this is our second shot at essentially recording this episode because last week we had horrendous internet problems and we basically had to give up. But we have taken measures to resolve the situation, so touch wood, we will be okay this time. Um, 
but yeah, so basically, if any of these news items feel like they're ancient history at this point, that is why, <laughs> because they're kind of hangovers. Um, right, so with that in mind, the first thing to discuss is that the Star Wars show covered the novelization and some deleted scenes that we can expect on the Blu-ray and in the novelization in particular. So, yeah, do you want to talk us through this, Kirsty? Sure. So it was the show last week and um, Jason Fry and Ryan Johnson met at Skywalker Ranch talked for hours about the story. Um, so the novelization includes deleted scenes and extra elements that weren't in the movie, including a funeral for Han with Leia's internal monologue, like what she's feeling in that moment. Um, and I think they showed a clip of it on the screen. So people could have a little look at that. Um, and they also showed moments from a deleted scene of Luke's third lesson to Rey, because obviously we only see two in the movie, and then she runs off. Um, so the idea is that she's running off to save her caretakers because Luke tells her that these bandits have come to the island. Um, mm -hmm. And when she gets there, it turns out that actually they are like male caretakers who come and visit their female friends uh, once a month for a party and other things. Uh, <laughs> and yeah it's quite moving that uh, it turns out that Luke and Ray have more antagonistic interactions here because it's like he misled her and mm. told her not you know you, he's trying to teach her that you can't run away and try and save people you don't know the full story like you can make things worse um, and she says what did she say like something like that that legend of Luke Skywalker that you hate so much, that meant something to me. Yes, that is pretty much what she says. Oh, Ray. Precious, precious Ray. Um, oh, I think he actually talked about this more with the Collider interview, right? I'm not sure I got to that part, to be honest, because it was a very long interview and I'm not sure I was able to watch the whole thing, so he might okay. well have said something about it, but I didn't hear it. I was listening to it as I was falling asleep, so I might have misheard something. But I think when they talked about deleted scenes, he referenced that because it was on the show, so people have seen it now. Um, mm. And it's been said before that it was removed because it made Luke look like too much of an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Which he kind of does already in the movie. Obviously, he goes on this form of redemption. So, um, But yeah, just that it kind of... I mean, I guess it's like all deleted scenes, they end up being removed because it's whatever the director decides they can live without, even if they love it. Yeah, so, but it'll still be cool to see it. Oh yeah, no, definitely. I'll eat up any new material I can get from this film, especially with Ray and Luke, because that strand story is so compelling. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, and I think um it was also mentioned that there's going to be stuff with Paige and Rose together, isn't there? Yeah, which is really exciting because Jason Fry wrote um Paige's journal um Bomber Command, so he obviously has a real investment and interest in those characters. And we didn't get to see Paige and Rose together in the movie. There are books about them together, but obviously Paige dies at the very beginning. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of intrigued to see how that will play out. Like if it will be Rose thinking about a time that they had together once she's heard about Paige. Maybe as she's like holding the medallion when we see her. Um, yeah. Something like that. So that would be really powerful. Um, I was thinking that it could be something to do with Han's funeral. Because if Han has a funeral, I can only presume that has to be on Dakar before the evacuation. And so then there's potential for Paige and Rose to be shown together, like attending that, and maybe show their perspective on events somehow. But don't... Is there time on Dakar? Because isn't it basically like they're waving off Ray as she leaves, and then they're attacked? Um, 
I don't think so. Um, oh, like okay. just on a very like basic level, if you look at the dress that Leia's wearing, like when she waves Ray off, she's wearing like that royal blue dress, and she has what Carrie Fisher called the baboon ass hairstyle. <laughs> <laughs> it's very accurate. Carrie um, is very it's just, good. Yeah, Leia's changed into her mourning because in, in the Visual Dictionary it says that her new hairstyle is a mourning braid, right from old Ron. Oh. Right, I didn't uh, read that part. Or if I did, I skimmed it. Yeah, the so, one that she's got in The Last Jedi. The braid that she has around her hair is a morning braid. Right, yeah. So basically, I'm sure some time passed between waving Ray off and starting the evacuation. I'm sure mm-hmm. it was a very small amount of time. But I would anticipate like any send-off for Han happening then. Because I don't see any room for it to happen like after they're in space, you know? Mm-hmm. That doesn't work, I don't think. But I might be wrong. Yeah. I think that was something actually that. Oh, sorry, I'm jumping ahead. This is the stuff about Collider, but um, they were, people were asking about about whether they had envisioned there being a funeral for Han in the movie, and Ryan had said like, no, that wasn't ever going to be something because there's just too much other stuff going on. So. Yeah, and I thought they actually paid paid tribute to Han really well through everything that's happened in the present. Me too. And how you see all the characters like, dealing with that loss because. I think that also makes a lot more sense from a storytelling perspective as well, because if you do have a funeral in a movie, that really does just grind everything to a halt. And I think if you're starting with this really like high-paced, like fast-paced action scene, I don't think it makes sense to like actually say, "Oh no, we're going to hold off the action so we can have a funeral first, You know, that feels like something that comes more at the end of the movie. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, there were quite a few moments in the movie where you can tell that the characters are thinking about Han Solo. Yeah. Um, so like the bit where Luke asks, where's Han? I've seen a few people kind of criticize the movie in terms of, well, why didn't they show Ray explaining? But we know what the explanation is, but the way it cuts to Kylo after that, it's like, that's kind of giving us the answer and it's giving Luke the answer that Han Solo is with his son. He's haunting him. Like that act has stayed with him and is tormenting him. And, and then Snoke does throw it out in the next scene, right? Yeah, so, exactly. It's done really well. It's just not like, and now we're going to mourn Han at his funeral because there are maybe more interesting ways to tell that story. Yeah, exactly. And I think you really get the sense of the loss of Han most profoundly through Ray and Kylo Ren. And I think that's right. You know, that makes the most sense because obviously Kylo's his son. So of course we should be seeing the ramifications it has for him. And then Ray, she has all her own issues with her own parents. And so that means she has this fixation on what happened to Han and this just disbelief over how it could happen. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it all just works and clicks for me. So it's good. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so out of all the things we've heard about that are to come in the novelization, does anything stick out as being something you're most excited for? Um, nothing specific. I'm just excited to get it and see what extra elements of insight it will give us because... I'm sure there are all sorts of ambiguous parts of The Last Jedi that I've already developed headcanons around, like, oh, this this expression means this, and this means they've got this going through their minds, and they're probably all wrong. Yeah. And um, it would just be helpful to have that, because I, I feel like I have, like, grand overarching ideas of how the story goes that seemed pretty clear to me, but in terms of, like, specific aspects and, like, looking at micro-expressions and projecting onto them, which we're all going to do, um, it'll be interesting to see whether there are actual explanations for those. 
Yeah. No, that's really true. Um, so I think I agree with you. I'm most interested in seeing the characters' thought processes mm. because, as you say, like you do get a real strong sense of what the characters are thinking and feeling from the performances. Like Daisy and Adam and John and Kelly, they're all very expre- expressive and you can obviously reasonably assume what they're thinking in any given scene. But there is always that leap you're taking in order to understand what they're thinking or what they're feeling, especially with Kylo, because I feel like he's such an enigmatic character, purposely so. So, yeah, it'll be good to get more focus yeah. in that sense. Yeah. Um. Right, have we said what we want to say about the novelization? Yeah, basically, until, until we get it. Like, I feel like we say this every week. I'm really excited to read that. Yeah. Exactly. We're always looking to the horizon. Oh. I know. Never satisfied with what we have. <laughs> more! Um, more! More! <laughs> uh, right. Then the next story is that Ryan Johnson had a very long chat with Collider about The Last Jedi. And just before we get into this, like in terms of what was actually said, I'd like to say what a pleasant surprise it was to see so many good questions being asked at this event, both by the moderator, who was Steve Frosty Weintraub, I think. I'm probably mispronouncing that. But he was great, and he asked really insightful and interesting questions I haven't really heard anyone else ask. And the audience were also good, and in much the same fashion, also asked really good questions. So, yeah, yeah, I was proud of everyone. I was like, oh my god, I love it. It was really great, because we're cynical and bitter and we were talking before <laughs> we were like oh they're probably just going to ask the same old questions that he's answered a million times before and has a rehearsed answer to but um they were really great like you say and some of the people who ask questions actually listen to our show so thank you for asking these questions they were really great and i could tell that brian appreciated them so awesome. yeah no thank you guys you're doing the lord's work or at least you're doing the fandom's work Sorry? And I'm jealous that they were there. It sounds like a really cool event. Oh, same. Yeah. Like, if I could, like, TARDIS myself over to LA, especially because it was a free event. Like, how cool is that? You know, just completely free. And I think it was done by, like, a lottery or something. So, yeah, it's really nice. Very democratic, which fits into the spirit of the film. <laughs> um, right. So then what I'll do is I will read out the question and the answer, and then we can discuss each one turn because I think otherwise it just kind of turns into a blob of words and then we can't forget and then we forget what we're actually meant to be talking about so and I would just like to thank Slimo for transcribing these questions because yeah saves me the work thank you I love Slimo oh so good yeah (laughs) right Stephen what I wanted to ask if I could ask a follow-up is when Kylo walks in that room he means the phone room does he know what he's going to do? Or is he making that decision in the moment? Ryan. In my mind, he walks in there knowing basically that he is going to betray Snoke. But he doesn't know yet exactly what the mechanism is and what his opportunity is going to be. But he's gone in there with the intent of whether it's now, whether it's later, or whenever it is. When he brings Ray in there, he's had that connection with her. And what he says in the elevator, from that, in my head I thought... Okay, he knows he's going to do this, but he doesn't know how yet. And when he sees that opportunity with the lightsaber next to him and sees Snoke distracted and realises he can give this attempt, he goes for it. Okay, so I like to be the first to fess up when I get things wrong. And in our Kylo analysis episode, I 
basically presented the theory that when Kylo goes into the throne room, he has the naive idea that Snoke is actually going to like welcome Rey with open arms and kind of just be like, yeah, she could stay with you, it's all cool. Like, you two young full kids in love, it's adorable, you go off and do your thing. Um, I thought that might be kind of like Kylo's headspace, but I was wrong. Like, Ryan, like, is very generous when he gives answers like this. He's always like, this is my interpretation and this is what I think. I don't want to undermine anyone else's interpretation. And I respect that and think it's sweet of him to say, but yeah, I, I really prioritise his view. I really appreciate that he qualifies things like that. Like, in my mind, I think partly it's because he knows there's another chapter to come after this. Yeah. So if there's nothing explicitly stated that would then contradict what JJ is going to do, it's always possible that he could walk things back. But yeah, um, I think another part of it is that Ryan really, he respects fans and he respects people's rights to the, their own interpretation of the story. Yeah. So exactly. I think that's really great. Yeah. I, I think it just underlines what a nice and chill guy Ryan Johnson is. He's not like authoritative in terms of how people should read his movie, which I think is lovely. Um, but yeah, like in this case, I do defer to Ryan. Like, I wasn't, like, married to my idea of what was happening in the scene. It was just, like, the impression I had. Mm. And I think I do prefer what Ryan's presenting here because it does make Kylo seem less of a fool. It (laughs) still makes him seem impulsive and, like, he's very much, like, acting on his instincts and his passions. Almost like a solo. Yeah, almost like a solo, exactly. Half plan, half flying by the seat of your pants. Yeah, very much so. Um, but yeah, for me, it strikes the right balance between being somewhat foresighted and looking ahead and also just being spontaneous and seizing the moment. And yeah, I think that's really cool and it works well for the character. Yeah, I remember saying in that Kylo episode when you when you brought that up, I was like, oh my God, if that's true. And I, yeah. I got some criticism for this, which I'm still kind of upset about because I have a ridiculously thin skin. But people were like, you keep calling him an idiot. And I was like, if that is what he's thinking, that Snoke is just going to be chill with Ray coming to the dark side and they're all a happy family, he is an idiot. I'm sorry. <laughs> right. I think we've said all there is to say about that one. So let's move on to the next question. This is from an audience member. So I was watching Revenge of the Sith recently, and I noticed there were a few echoes from that film to The Last Jedi, like when Anakin's talking to Padme in Revenge of the Sith just before they face off Obi-Wan. There's some similarities there with the join me and the lashing out of Kylo to Rey and Anakin to Padme. Did you watch the prequels while you were writing? Ryan. Yeah, I watched the prequels a lot, actually, and that goes for the writing and while we were in prep. I think partially because the original tri- I think partially because the original trilogy was the ones that I know by heart, shot by shot. The prequels, I knew them really well, but I saw them less, so I kind of wanted to steep myself in that visual language a lot more before I got into it. The notion of finding echoes, not just in the original trilogy, but also in the prequel trilogy, felt like just a really rich well to draw from. So I keep the original trilogy and also the prequels just on my iPad that I had with me all the time. And at night I would just put it on a random spot and watch pieces of it. Like I love that he makes his answer indirect because he can't like actively compare Halo to Anadala, but he is basically concurrent with that person. Like saying you're right to be noticing this. Is that the vibe you get, Kirsty? Kind of. I don't want to be too like, oh my god, confirmed. Because yeah. like you say, he doesn't come out and say, 
yes, Anidala and Raylo are linked, but like acknowledging the visual parallels between the sequel trilogy and the prequels. And I think this is the first time that someone official has done that. Because mm. obviously with JJ, they didn't outright come and bash the prequels, but it was very much like practical effects, all about yeah. emphasizing how it was linked to the original trilogy. And I think because of the way the prequels are received in a general audience sense, it, they kind of had to do that, even though it's kind of annoying as a Star Wars fan. But um, mm. to to have him say this is really great. Um, yeah. Because, yeah, he's saying, like, yeah, I watched them and they were just as important as the original trilogy. And, like, visual language, that's exactly what this guy was bringing to his question, right? That there's, there's stuff here that is so similar um, yeah. in the proposal scene versus what Anakin's saying to Padme on Mustafar. Um, and yeah, watching it again last night, it was really striking. I feel like the guy who asked this question has been on Tumblr and seen those gift sets and read the yeah. messages. <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, because I think specifically uh, Padme says, you're going down a path I can't follow. And like, like, um, what does Ray say to Kylo in The Last Jedi? Can you remember please, the line? Please don't go this way. Like, please don't do this. Please don't go yeah. this way. Yeah. Um, and then... At- Anakin and Kylo are saying, join me, and Kylo has just killed Snoke, and Anakin is talking about how they can overthrow Palpatine together because he's that powerful now. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, it's like poetry rhymes. <laughs> <laughs> truly does. Um, but yeah, no, I love that, and I thought it was such a beautiful echo, and it makes it really like poignant and like builds into the greater mythology in a really nice way. So Yeah, yeah I think it, it's nice because you see that they are very conscious of the fact that it's not just a trilogy in and of itself, it's part of this wider saga. So they are going to be watching those earlier movies and feeding things into them so that when the whole saga is complete, if if it does finish at nine, obviously they're not going to tell us now, they probably don't even know yet, but um, that, yeah, you'll be able to look at it as this entire consistent story with running themes. Yep, precisely. Do you want me to read the next one? Uh, Yeah, sure, go for it. Okay, cool. My question is about the last scene between Ray and Ben. He's kneeling on the ground. He has his father's dice in his hands that his uncle gave to his mother and his mother left for him. And he's looking up at the person who's the most important person in the world for him. And before that door shuts, if he could have a do-over to go back to that moment, what do you think he would say or do differently and why? And Ryan says, that is such a great question. Will you be mad if I say, say that it's such a great question? I don't want to answer it. Only because I think that's such a beautiful notion of what does he regret in that moment. It's the same way I think about in Revenge of the Sith, that mask is coming down, that beautiful shot of Anakin's eyes right before it goes over and you see that glimpse of, is it fear? Is it regret? What is it? What is going through his mind at that moment? That's that kind of moment for Ben and I don't want to put that moment in your guys' head. I feel like that's a moment that everyone should read into themselves but just posing that question is really beautiful. That question is so well put. It is. I'm glad Ryan like saw that and praised it because it's so well expressed. And like for me, in terms of my reading of the film, I think that person just got it so so well. I think they expressed it better than I could have. Yeah. This this is from someone who listens to our show. So thank you, Christy. This was such a great question. Yeah. Thank you. So well and yeah. especially right in front of Ryan Johnson because oh my god, I know I'd be to so do nervous. what I do and like ask around on my Tumblr and write whatever. <laughs> but actually addressing this to the director of the film, that takes 
serious guts. So yeah, yeah kudos. Yeah, I'd have been shaking. Yeah. Um, and yeah, his, his answer is really great too, because even though he says like, oh, I can't really answer it, that means that this is really important, right? Yeah. Like this, because it's the end of the movie and this is the last interaction between those two characters. It paves the way for what's going to come next. So if he says something too definitive, um, he could be stepping on JJ's toes. So, but he does say, what does he regret in that moment? So it's not just about like, if he experiences regret, he's saying it is regret. It's just like, what kind, like what's going on? Yeah, exactly. And in my view, there's so many things he regrets in that moment. (laughs) Well, I hope so. (laughs) Yeah. But obviously it's centered on Ray because yeah. yeah, she's the focal point of everything for him. Like pretty much in that moment and in the film as a whole. Yeah. Because for him, like she's the most important character to him in the film. Yeah. But uh, then as Christy suggests. Yeah. But then he's holding the dice and they disappear too after the door is shut. It's like he just yeah. lost everything in that moment. Now he has to choose whether he pulls himself back up by the bootstraps. This is the thing, right? I think a lot of people have kind of seen that as like, okay, that's the end. You know, shut the door. But this is the second chapter. So it's like, yes, we can see the parallels between Anakin and Padme. But Anakin became Darth Vader then. Like, Mm -hmm. he's in the suit. Like, it's almost like a death, really, until until Luke comes back into his life. And the way Revenge of the Sith ends, it's very tragic, obviously. But you also have this kind of hope because you, you see Luke going to... Owen and Baru and them standing in front of the binary sunset and everything and yeah. you know what's going to come later whereas this it's like okay so we have one more movie so yeah gonna have exactly yeah here's one last shot but it's his responsibility now it's no one else's yeah and I think that's what it's telling us yeah um, and then after this Q&A Ryan stayed for ages signing for people taking photos with them and everything he's he's great he is, and he just seems so lovely and kind to everyone, even though he was presumably exhausted because he'd been talking for like one and a half hours straight, and then obviously meeting and greeting people for ages afterwards. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he's such a lovely man, and I hope I get the opportunity to meet him one day. Like, see, so, yeah, come to London, Ryan, please. <laughs> well, he'll be at other celebrations, right? Because he's going to do an entire trilogy. Uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, so in that case, hope for another celebration in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> Or you should come to one in America. Yes, no, that's true. Maybe Celebration 2019. Yes! Yeah, I would so love that. Oh my god. <laughs> I'll have to start saving. Right, so the next story is that we have various quotes from Donald Gleason, where he's talking about Hux in The Last Jedi specifically, um, because I think he's been impressed for his new Netflix movie, um, which I think is about National Lampoon. I haven't seen it, but it's got Donald Gleason, so presumably it has some value. Um <laughs> Right, the first batch of quotes, they're from an interview he did on the Happy, Sad, Confused podcast. And I'd like to thank Rogue Jedi for the transcript, it saved me lots of work. Um, And again, we'll do what we did before, we'll talk about each quote in turn. So the first one was about the broken phone call scene between Hux and Poe. Donal, it was interesting because we went up and down the scale in terms of how put out Hux would be by it. And Oscar was actually there. Oscar read his lines off camera for that, which is a really cool thing to do, so we could feel the energy in the room. Again, I think I like this because um, it's obviously it's not as similar, so it's not like um, Hux and Poe <laughs> have an intimate relationship in The Last hey, Jedi. I, 
I uh-huh. have seen Ginger Pilot as a ship kind of take off since The Last Jedi. So. <laughs> but to be fair, that doesn't surprise me. It has like actual fuel in the engine now. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It was a crack ship. Obviously, it's not a crack ship. But you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. They hadn't met before. But now this one, it's like, oh, they have these funny interactions. So. Yeah, exactly. They have a history now. So who knows? <laughs> the sky's the limit. Um, but yeah, I really like that Ryan made a point of getting the actors together so they could like vibe off each other in person because I do think that's important and that helps everyone basically. I do, but at the same time, it's a phone call, so they're not really supposed to see each other. Yeah, so unless it's true. Oscar was hiding behind some boxes or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like either that or he was staring intently at Donal throughout the entire scene. <laughs> Anything's Intimacy. possible. Oh gosh. What have I done? <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I do like again that there was like a whole scale of like Hux's histronic reactions. It's funny that taunted. they do that because really Hux is always going to be cranking it up to 11. Yeah, I think it reminds me actually of something JD did with Donal in The Force Awakens because apparently they did lots of different variations of that scene where he's addressing the like first order ranks before they like blow up Hosni and Prime like they did lots of takes of that because some of them were more muted and calm and then the final version that was used in the film was like the most spitty like vitriolic thing you could imagine yeah exactly so they clearly not decided... much subtlety with Hux yeah very much so he's a bit of a drama queen to put him mildly but that's why I love him uh right and then we have Donald's thoughts on Hux surviving The Last Jedi, because that's the thing. I'll be honest, I was very surprised that I survived. I kind of imagined myself getting blown up in a ship pretty early on. But, spoiler alert, I suppose. There's also that moment where Ren is on the ground, and it looks like maybe I'll finish him. Chuggles. <laughs> what stake would the franchise be in if Snoke and Ren are gone, and it's just Hux going, right, this is how we go. Can you imagine how annoyed people would have been? <laughs> it's just him and then I think the like guy interviewing him said episode 9 the rise of Hux Donal yeah exactly which I keep pitching to JJ but he's not answering my emails <laughs> would you watch episode 9 the rise of Hux Kirsty? I would watch it but I would also be in the camp of people who are pretty annoyed honestly <laughs> you mean if Kylo died <laughs> Yeah, okay, I'm bracing myself for possible Kylo death in 9, but I would have been annoyed if he died in 8. So. <laughs> yeah, I think you'd also be annoyed if he died in like the first scene of episode 9 to make way for Hux. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> Steve, that's he... not going to happen. Oh, I know! <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, everything is possible in episode 9. <laughs> Ryan Johnson has proven that. They can do whatever they want. Oh, God. He's given us the Game of Thrones mindset. No one's safe. Exactly. It's just going to be Hux left at the end. Um, wow. Yeah. I mean, this character is pretty ruthless. We've mm. already, like, all the canon stuff, like, emphasizes how he's really young, but he's, like, scraped his way to the top, and obviously he uses connections from his father and everything, and then conspired with Phasma to backstab him. And then you've got these other officers who are older than him and served in the Empire and are kind of annoyed at this new, young, arrogant, like, whippersnappers. Yeah, taking the lead when they don't really know what they're doing because you see that interaction with him and Kennedy, right? Yeah, um, exactly. So what he's he's saying about like, oh, I imagine myself getting blown up in a ship early on, but that ended up being Captain Kennedy. Like he was the the cannon fodder there. Yeah, um, Hux has become more important. 
So yeah, no. So I think he's really the foil to Kylo in terms of the villainy side. So he's necessary on that front. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I was survived. I was surprised that Hux survived the last Jedi. I really did think he was going to go out, but it was a pleasant surprise because. Yeah, as I think we both agree, like he's an interesting character and he serves a real purpose in the story. So, yeah, there's lots of interesting ways they could take him going forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really didn't care that much about Hux coming out of The Force Awakens, aside from him being a cool foiled to Kylo. Mm-hmm. But they've, they've built on that so much now, and especially with Kylo becoming Supreme Leader, I'm really interested to see how they interact. Yeah, definitely. Right, then we have... Donal's thoughts on Hux's backstory in the novelization. Donal, I think my dad's name is Brendel. Is that a wink to my real dad? Like a winky wink to my dad? I need to buy whatever novel it is. I mean, I have my own version, but that's not true now, apparently. I can't talk about it, because then it'll be anti-canon. <laughs> <laughs> he could talk about it. He could. I would love to hear what's in his head about Hux. Yeah. I do wish they would tell the actors more about what their supposed backstories are. Like, so I don't think it would do any harm. I guess they just decide that it doesn't really matter and they should know whatever they need to know for the scene. But mm. yeah, the stuff about him, because presumably does he, does this mean that he doesn't know that Hux planned with Phasma to kill his dad? Because mm. that's pretty interesting information, you know, like, it builds on this. I know he knows that the character is ruthless and ambitious and everything, but if these extra details that would inform his relationship with Phasma too. Yeah, exactly. I do think something like that would be very informative to his performance. You know, if you kill your dad, that has ramifications. Do you know what I mean? Like with Kylo, that has very, very clear ramifications. And obviously this is not like Hux's trilogy. It's not like getting into his psychology and exploring his inner torment, but I do think that if you have these situations where Hux and Kylo are both responsible for the deaths of their fathers, albeit in different ways, then I think it's useful for both actors to know that backstory because then that could really inform that dynamic and help them play off each other more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because we know from the Phasma novel that Hux feels absolutely no regret or remorse for that at all. He hated his father and Kylo says in The Last Jedi, I didn't hate him. Yeah. And we know that it split his spirit to the bone. So, yeah, yes, interesting contrast. Yeah. So I hope that's the kind of thing they take advantage of going forward. Obviously, I'm not counting on it because you can't do that. You know, it's just the path to disappointment, as people have learned. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's certainly something I would like to see. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Do you want me to read the next one? Yeah, go for it. Okay, so this is on Hux and Kylo's relationship. Um, Josh, is it Josh Horowitz who does this? Uh, I think so. He says, I don't know if there's like a future for you two. (laughs) Donal laughs. The white picket fence may not materialize. See, I like the idea that Hux gets abused. The whole thing was, Ryan talked about it. He's like a kicked dog. When that dog eventually bites, it's going to bite hard. When it finally snaps, it's going to be something really nasty. So my hope is that's the way it goes. But we just don't have any... Maybe they'll make up and maybe that'll be the twist. Them getting married. <laughs> oh my god. I This confirms to me he knows about Kylux. He must know oh, about Kylux. Okay, this, this guy's in Harry Potter. He knows all about shipping. Because <laughs> okay, that franchise has crazy ship wars. Or it did. I don't know about it now. But 
Yeah, I'm sure he is all too aware. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, like so I do think that Donal like has a more like practical relationship with these things than say Adam does. Because I expect Adam on sub level is aware of the like shipping thing. Someone has probably told him it as like a piece of factual information. But I'm not sure how much he would comprehend it. And I certainly don't think he would ever look it up. He definitely knows about Raylo now, because I think people have actually asked him and brought up that term. Yeah. Um, but Kylo's being crack, I'm, I don't know if it would have been brought up for him. Yeah, maybe by Donal. <laughs> oh, probably. Yeah, that's true. Like, I, I, I meant in interviews. I don't think I've seen anything where he like talks about that. Oh, yeah, no. Um, nor have I. Yeah. But yeah, like, the stuff that he's saying here is really interesting, right? Like, that he's like a kick dog, because... Once Snoke is out of the way and Kylo's supreme leader, he is knocking him around like, yeah. really horribly. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, I think um, Donald talked about that before with um, how he wanted to play it that like he's so horrible that the kids watching are almost going to be like happy to see him suffer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I must yeah, say, I like predict. you're almost. This will sound this will sound bad, but when Kylo is like throwing him around and like smacking him into walls, for me I just find that funny. Like I don't feel like sad or like pity him. Like I can if I step back and think, oh yeah, that's a really bad day at work. That's pretty shit. Um, but... <laughs> that's <day> at work. <laughs> <laughs> One of many bad days. He lost our killer. His passion project and. <laughs> Poor Hux. And and then like he he'd been like working so so hard for this promotion. He felt like he was just on the brink of getting it. And then there was this overhaul in management, and the new manager is just this asshole who hates him. <laughs> and they have this really like intense history of rivalry. And Hux yeah. just knows everything is gonna go awful for him from now on because this guy's in yeah. charge. That that <laughs> is basically nine. the story. So. <laughs> Episode nine is just gonna be like office space. <laughs> <laughs> office space in the stars preferably with some royal intrigue thrown in as well <laughs> oh my god but yeah no I really do like the way that Donald keeps on teasing this idea that Hux will bite back eventually because yeah, yeah as much as I enjoy seeing Hux suffer horribly because he's a horrible person I do want to see him be more effective and be more of a danger basically so I think that would be intriguing yeah, I think Ryan was setting up that possibility and it's just kind of, it remains to be seen whether JJ will pick that up. It, it makes sense to us, but it's also possible that he'll go in different directions. So, Yeah. Right, and then finally, Donal also had another interesting interview with the Huffington Post. Um, there were quite a few Star Wars questions and he had interesting answers to all of them. But because this isn't like the Hux Spotlight episode, <laughs> um, in the interest <laughs> of time, I'm just going to focus on a question Donal was asked about the backlash surrounding The Last Jedi. So Donal said, Yeah, I've heard about it, of course. I respect anybody's opinion to not be happy with something. If you pay your 10 bucks and you go and watch the movie and you don't like it, it's your right to express that online. It's your right to not like somebody or to not like the whole thing or whatever. All I know is how I feel about it and I'm really glad that Rin changed things up and brought some some of himself to it in the same way that JJ brought himself to it. I really like Ryan's films. I think this is a Star Wars film and it's also a Ryan Johnson film and both of those things excite me equally. They're all such a sweetheart. Yeah, he is. Like he's he just speaks very honestly about this stuff and it's like, yeah, people are perfectly entitled to not like the movie. Yeah. 
you know, because they really are. Like, you don't have to like it. Yeah, exactly. He's not shaming anyone for being critical. He's just bringing his own perspective to it. And I think that's what any sane person should do in the situation, to be honest. It's <laughs> like you can acknowledge and respect other people's opinions, but that doesn't have to alter or change your own opinion in any way. Mm-hmm. We can all be strong and confident in our feelings, basically. Then I think that's all the Donal General Hux conversation wrapped up for now. We'll have an episode at some point on Hux and the Last Jedi, right? Yeah, I, I think so. I definitely think there's enough there. We had an episode on Hux in The Force Awakens, and there's definitely more Hux in The Last Jedi, so there's no reason why not. And then the final news story is that we can expect a Han Solo trailer between Super Bowl and Good Morning America. So what making Star Wars heard was... When it comes to Solo, a Star Wars story, a shorter version of the teaser will hit on the Super Bowl and a longer version of the teaser will follow shortly thereafter during the following week. And since that report came out, um, we've basically had Ron Howard teasing the Super Bowl on Twitter and we also had what was basically confirmation from the GMA website that the full trailer will premiere on Good Morning America the next day. So, yeah, it seems pretty clear-cut at this point. Um, Are you excited that the trailer is finally here? Or at least it better be now, after all this. (laughs) Yeah, I am excited to see it. I haven't been, like, champing at the bit because there's been so much stuff going on with The Last Jedi and we still have stuff that's going to come out for that. So it's kind of weird being in this in-between period where you've got two Star Wars movies on the brain. Yeah, definitely. Um, But that's a good place to be. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, looking forward to it and... I guess, well, I mean, it's hard to say with, in terms of like whether it's going to be a teaser or a full trailer, like how much we're going to get from it. Because the teasers, you kind of just get these passing images, right? So it'd be cool to see them in character and everything. Yeah. But it's only really if we get a full trailer that we'll get a kind of premise. So yes. we'll, we'll see. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, because right now my headspace is still so much in The Last Jedi. I haven't had any room to think about the Han, the Han Solo movie um, mm. but I like to think that this trailer will change that so I think once I have things to latch on to like visuals and a sense of the story and the new characters all that kind of stuff then I'll be able to get more engaged but yeah, right exactly. now yeah I'm just not there yet so I'm looking forward to seeing it and yeah we'll do a breakdown of it hopefully in our next episode as long as it comes through <laughs> <laughs> So then, with that said, we are going to proceed on to a topic that we're very excited to talk about, and that is a spotlight discussion on none other than Luke Skywalker, galactic legend, (laughs) in all senses of that word, by the way. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so he's obviously got a very integral arc in The Last Jedi, and I don't know about you, Kirsty, but I'm very excited to talk about it. Yeah, I really love Luke in The Last Jedi. Like, mm. I feel like it did a really great job with his character. Where it started made sense based on what we got from The Force Awakens. And I felt like it was in keeping with who he was from the original trilogy as well. But also kind of like clearly uh, 30 years have gone by and a lot's happened. So it's nice that he hasn't remained stagnant, you know, like they're telling a new story with him. So yeah, I think they did a great job. Definitely. Right, so the first thing we see of Luke is obviously they pick up from the end of The Force Awakens where Rey is handing him the lightsaber and he takes it, handles it for a moment and 
Then in something of a shocking move, he tosses it directly over his shoulder and walks off. Um, yeah, and I think in a way that is very indicative of the whole film's like mission statement is this whole idea of subverting your expectations and also the characters not quite being the people you remembered them to be. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's interesting because I have seen that confused with this idea of the film like propagating this idea of, oh, we should destroy the past, we should just throw it away. But I don't think that's the message because I do think we're meant to come to understand that Luke's initial response when handed that lightsaber, that's not the right response. And I think he comes to recognise that as well over the course of the film and that gives him his arc and his character journey. Yeah, because we see him throw it away, but then that's the saber. Well, I know he's not really using it, but he Astral projects himself to Kray and faces Kylo looking like he's using that saber. Yeah. So it kind of comes full circle for him. Yeah, exactly. He adopts his old weapon. Um, Yep. And then straight after that, it's... No, actually, I think we should talk a bit more about that. So... So what do you get from that response of Luke in terms of getting inside Luke's head? What do you think he thought when he saw that weapon? And what do you think his like goal was in throwing it over his shoulder like that? Because we have seen Luke toss away his lightsaber before. He threw it away when the Emperor was trying to get him to kill Vader. And that was obviously like a really defining moment in Return of the Jedi. But in The Last Jedi, the same act is presented in quite a different way. And I think it has quite a different meaning. Yeah, because I think in the original trilogy, when he tosses it away, that is him embracing him, like what it means to be a Jedi for himself. Yes. Um, that they made all these mistakes in their hubris, but that this is him rejecting what the Jedi Order symbolized in his mind. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like a, a rejection of the organized religion, right? Yeah. That he is, he's still a believer in the Force, even though he's cut himself off from it. Um, because when, when he teaches Ray, the way that he describes the Force and everything, he really understands it and how it doesn't just belong to the Jedi. Um, mm. But, yeah, it's, it's different, but it's obviously supposed to be kind of a visual echo of what he's done before. So yeah. it, it gets the audience wondering, wait, what is going on? What's happened to this this hero? Yeah. So I kind of get the impression, especially in the context of the rest of the film, that when he looks at that saber, he doesn't like see a great thing or like the symbol of a great heroic legacy. He sees this symbol of all the tragedy and trauma that's befallen the galaxy and his own family specifically, because he's presumably thinking back to how that saber came to be passed on to Obi Wan in those awful circumstances on Mustafar. So I'm sure he didn't know like the nitty gritty. Right. Um, yeah, that saber did terrible things or the people wielding it did Mm, and killed children yeah so it's kind of funny like after the force awakens everyone's like yeah ray got the legacy saber woohoo i was like that saber is cursed in my opinion yeah exactly (laughs) you know luke lost it and then constructed his own saber like that's you know he he paved the way for his own legacy there but ray getting it it's not like that's the hero's saber you know anakin did terrible things with that yeah Exactly. And yeah, I think Luke recognises that basically. He knows how complicated these things are and he knows that the real story isn't as inspiring as people like Ray think it is. Mm. Right. So then when we next see Luke, he is changing his clothes. 
which I find interesting as an act in itself, to be honest, that he changed that all those grand Jedi robes into the more like humble attire. Like I think in the visual dictionary it alludes to him like being prepared to do some kind of ritual when he's in those clothes. Can you remember reading about that, Kirsty? Uh, I don't have the dictionary yet, so I don't know for sure, but I've seen some people talking about how there was supposed to be an element of... Was he thinking of some form of suicide? Or is this just speculation on fans' part? I Again, I wish I had it in front of me. I, I'm not sure, like, suicide as such, but definitely some kind of, like, final ritual, which I mean, when, is, like, what's the yeah. difference? Yeah, like, he says, I came to this island to die, so... Yeah. That can be seen as like a passive, I'm just going to stay here for the rest of my days. Mm. But subtextually, if he's wearing something like that and then changes into something that is considered more mundane and practical as soon as Ray arrives, Mm. it's almost like he's been interrupted. He was like pondering something really, Mm. I mean, he was like brooding at the cliff edge, right? Yeah. Um, I almost wonder if he was wearing those robes because in that way he is trying to embody the whole of the old Jedi Order. And that's what he wants to die, but then he realizes that. But then he realizes when Ray turns up that that's not what she sees. She doesn't see a man who's preparing to let all of this go. She sees the Jedi Master from all her stories. So he's like, okay, right now there's like a living person here that I need to create an impression to. I better like change to like reduce that. I need to present myself differently because why she's going to get the wrong idea. Yeah, because that's kind of what the audience thinks at the end of The Force Awakens, right? Like, oh, wow, he just looks so... I mean, he looks unhappy and troubled, mm. but, um, yeah, he's wearing these grand robes, and then when he changes, it's like this big contrast. Yeah. Didn't Jason from Making Stars always call that his trash bag outfit? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's very accurate. <laughs> yeah, it kind of is, and it, it makes sense for the Act 2 climate, right, that he's walking around in the rain. I mean, Ray wears her own poncho after that, so... Yeah. The big on ponchos in Star Wars. Yeah, very, very cool. <laughs> um, so yeah, in Luke's hut, we also see some of his belongings. So a red kyber crystal, the compass he got from the Emperor's vaults in Battlefront 2. So I think those things are like little Easter eggs for fans, really. Like, And I'm sure they'll be f- even further expanded upon in other materials. But they don't really yeah, have any it- bearing to the story. Right, the kyber crystal, I think when that first came out, like in terms of spoilers, people were speculating that it was going to be Vader's. But mm. um, I think I saw something on Tumblr from the Visual Dictionary about it being like an artifact that Luke had discovered. Like a, it was something that a Jedi had taken from a Sith. It was like right. a almost like a crusade thing, right? Mm. Um, so yeah, he's just he's been traveling around and doing all sorts of interesting things that maybe we'll eventually get. Um, Nice yeah, like, yeah, but just that they linger on them. They show that these are his belongings. There's, there's not very many of them. Like he's clearly mm. living pretty um, aesthetic lifestyle, right? Yeah, definitely. He's very monkish. Yeah. Um. Right, and then Chewie um barges in, <laughs> and yeah, when Luke sees Chewie without Han, he obviously realizes that there's a very important person missing, and he asks, "Where's Han?" And that's mm. when we cut away to. Kylo Ren. Um, I saw some people upset that we didn't actually get to see like Luke respond to 
like that news that Ray would presumably deliver to him because they wanted to see Luke grieving for Han. But I do think we actually do get that, like in that moment a bit later in the Falcon when Luke goes on. It's just very yeah. quiet and understated. It's not him saying, oh my word, I am so heartbroken and devastated by this because there's a scene later on where you actually see that. It's just non-verbal. Right, it's better than that. Because, well, when they cut back to Arc 2 after they've, they've gone to Kylo, he's on the ground looking devastated, right? While yeah. Ray is delivering this speech about how he needs to come back because Kylo Ren has done this terrible thing and they need to defeat the First Order. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, like you say, you see him later on the Falcon with the dice and everything. Like, that's the point where he feels powerless to, to deal with what's happened. So. Yeah, exactly. I've just realised that without realising it, I answered Isabella's question. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, so we have notes. I, I asked people on Twitter like if there were specific things that they wanted us to address, so we have them kind of interspersed within our show notes. And yeah, Isabella asked, like, my question isn't that deep, but I'm still baffled by it. Why does Luke wear his Jedi robes when Rey hands a lightsaber to him and then immediately changes into his hobo look afterwards? What's the point? Was he expecting her? I don't get it. He can't have been expecting her because he cut himself off from the Force. So there was a lot of speculation before that he had sensed her and he knew that Han was dead and this was going to be him returning to the fight, right? Mm. Um, but it's almost the reverse. It's that he had no idea. So he yeah. turns around and he's, he's surprised to see her. Yeah, I think in the Force Awakens script, there's a line to the effect of um, he didn't need to ask why she was there. He already knew or something like that. And it's clear mm. that Ryan had something else in mind because well, yeah, yeah, because the direction he took. So I think Mark said this in an interview. They had to change the ending because um, at one point they had like these big rocks floating around Luke as if he was so strong with the Force still that he was doing that just while he was waiting for Ray to turn up. Oh, wow. Obviously, that's... Yeah, so he called JJ and Ryan and was like, hey, have you guys seen this? Because they don't line up. I'm cut off from the Force. Like, that's a part of the story. So, yeah, that's really cool. So, yeah, then when the action returns to Act Two, like after the scene of Kylo, um, Ray is clearly like filling him in on what's happened, and he's lying on the ground and looking quite defeated. Um, let's read out the dialogue. And if I'm Luke, do you want to be Ray, Kirsty? Sure. There's no light left in Kylo Ren. He's only getting stronger. The First Order will control all the major systems within weeks. We need your help. We need the Jedi Order back. We need Luke Skywalker. You don't need Luke Skywalker. Did you hear a word I just said? You think what? I'm going to walk out with a laser sword and face down the whole First Order? What did you think was going to happen here? You think that I came to the most unfindable place in the galaxy for no reason at all? Go away. He's so harsh. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of funny, though, because he does walk out of the laser sword and face down the whole First Order. Yeah. Exactly. I guess it's dramatic irony. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. just not in the way that anyone expects. Yeah, exactly. It comes to pass. It's just ultimately more of like a spiritual, mental thing than anyone would have anticipated. Because, yeah, yeah I think Rain, her naivety, probably did think that Luke was just going to show up and slash through some fools. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and I think a large portion of the audience were hoping for that yeah so, definitely yeah talking to Ray he's also talking to the audience yeah exactly it's all about resetting those expectations and establishing who Luke is now because yeah like it 
makes what is a clear point already from the very circumstances of Luke's location. He's on this incredibly remote island in the middle of nowhere and he's not it's not like he's there for a holiday. He didn't just pack <laughs> his bags and go there for a nice pleasant trip. He's gone there because yeah, it's like well screw the galaxy, I can't do this anymore. You know, so it's clearly the act of like a disillusioned man. Yeah. I think also part of it is that he feels like the Jedi were doing active harm. So it's yes. it's like by removing himself, he's almost he thinks that he's being selfless mm. um because the order has done so much damage. Yeah, I, mean, I guess we get that more explicitly when he talks about the Jedi Order later, but yeah. yeah. I think that's that... very true, because I think in, in interviews, Ryan said he needed to find a positive reason why Luke was there, and I think Luke yeah, was going there because, yeah, like Luke's not going there because he's afraid. He has to be going there because he thinks he's doing good in some way, which makes sense if he thinks that the Jedi are dangerous, because he would consider himself dangerous. Yeah, it's obviously very misguided because while he's been there, the First Order have been able to take over and Kylo Ren has been running around doing all sorts of damage. Mm. Um, but just his mindset and the feeling like that he feels he's created Kylo. Mm. Um, yeah, he just feels like the solution is to take himself out of the fight. Yeah. So then when we next see Luke... He is traipsing about the island with Ray following hot on his heels. <laughs> and he's doing all kinds of peculiar things that apparently form his daily routine. Um, such as like milking what we now know is a phallosiren, um, who has um how should I put this? Um breastage. No, that's not a word. <laughs> <laughs> I like how the camera zooms in on them though it's like are you seeing this we're not going to shy away from what Lee Skywalker is doing right here yeah exactly I've seen some people suggest that look if Ray weren't there would he just suck it direct from the tit which is mm. both disconcerting and probably true <laughs> I mean he he drinks it with glee he's <laughs> dripping down his chin into his beard he's like winking at her the hearty swig so does this mean that the Fala Siren is like Luke's Mara Jade in the new canon? Oh my god. <laughs> I'm so sorry. That's so it's sweet. just a, a lot of nipples in this movie. There really are. I think Ryan's trying to tell us something. Yeah, so I think when he does that, when he like milks the Fala Siren and then swigs it so gleefully... I think that's very much about deliberately trying to freak Ray out and saying, look at what I'm doing, look at what a madman I am. <laughs> you don't want to be here, do you? Um, because, yeah, that's not the sight that anyone wants, especially of this like esteemed legendary figure. And, yeah, I think the fishing situation is kind of similar. It's just showing him as this like borderline maniac, I think. <laughs> Yeah, it's almost like he's mocking her. Like, oh, you want to see Luke Skywalker? Well, this is Luke Skywalker. Yeah, exactly. Milking the cow, spiking fish. This is my life. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, yeah, I like it. And um, because I like eccentric things and it's a supremely eccentric sequence. And I, I do also like how it provides like a good lesson to Luke about Ray. Because it must demonstrate to him like what a solid character she is, that she still sticks around and she still persists, even after he's trying so, so hard to freak her out like this. 
because she will mm. not be put off. And yeah, that says a lot about her. Yeah, she doesn't really have anything else more important to do, right? Mm. That she considers this her destiny. She needs to find this form of belonging. Um, and as Kylo points out later, she feels like she needs to latch on to these older father figures to yeah. find her sense of belonging and meaning. Yeah. So she's like, well, I have the force. I need to figure it out. And you're the only person who can help me. So I won't be leaving. Right, then when we next see Luke, he is sneaking onto the Falcon at night time while Chewie is having his pork moral dilemma. <laughs> you put that so well. <laughs> um, yeah, so Luke basically is a very contemplative moment when he goes into the cockpit and he sees the dice that Han had hung there and he takes them down and I think he pockets them, which obviously becomes significant later. And then he has this really nice heartwarming reunion with R2-D2. And I think that's like the first flash that we see of the old Luke Skywalker. Did you find that, Kirsty? Yeah, it was almost seamless the way he kind of slipped back into those interactions of R2, which is, yeah. you know, takes us right back to the first time we see him. Yeah. Um, that was really great. Mark does such a great job there. Yeah. He seemed that like young, youthful, optimistic Luke again, which was really nice to see. So he's like, so it is important that that Luke is still there. It's not like he's died. He's just been buried under all this life experience and trauma that Luke's been through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that their banter of him being able to understand what R2's saying and R2 of his potty mouth, presumably. Yes. <laughs> it's cute. Yeah, it's adorable. Um, yeah, and so Luke is obviously despondent and he's trying to say that, well, nothing's going to bring me back. And then R2, being R2, because he has attitude, he shows Luke the Leia hologram from the original Star Wars. And yeah, that's like a turning point for Luke. And I think that's such a lovely choice to have seeing that change Luke in that way. Like, did you mm. like that choice, Kirsty? I thought it was really great, and I was kind of hoping for a Leia hologram at some point mm. in there, like whether it would be for Luke or Kylo or whatever. Mm. Um, but I do think it's interesting that this is a choice Ryan made to have it be a hologram of Leia, like connecting him back to his family as opposed to anything that Ray has said or done. Yes. Um, to make Luke decide to train her. Yeah. No, that's a I really think good people, point. Yeah, people kind of had it. It was like this very common thing, right? That because Ray was going, she was going to be the one that would help him. And I, mm. I guess she kind of does, but it's not like the catalyst. It's that R2 shows him this and it reminds him of what he owes Leia and how his arc is about coming back and making things right with her and trying to attempt some kind of interaction with Ben, even though obviously he knows that he can't save him at this point. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's still very much family oriented for him. Yeah. Exactly. So it's not so much about Ray herself, it's about Ray being this like message carrier, essentially. She's come from the resistance and to an extent, like Luke wants to explain the lessons to Ray about the force and about why he's done what he's done because he wants that to be communicated, he wants that to be understood because I think he appreciates that Ray does deserve an explanation and that everyone else does deserve an explanation as well. So that's mm -hmm. why he offers to teach the lessons. Okay, so the next time we see Luke, it's because he's interrupting the first Force Bond scene between Kylo and Rey. And Kylo can actually tell that Luke is there. Or at least he guesses that it's Luke, 
obviously from the context. <laughs> and um, Luke is like a bit of a grump with Ray because she shot a hole in the heart. And <laughs> oh, and you've wrote a great comment, Kirsty. You said it's pretty funny because he explodes one later on in his <laughs> anger. <laughs> Well, yeah, he's like, oh, what are you doing? What's all that about? But, yeah, later he blows one up and it's presumably completely ir- irreplaceable. Like, he can't just accept the caretakers to repair that when, like, every brick has come crumbling down. <laughs> You're, that's actually a really good observation, and I had not thought about that. <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh, wonder why they don't like you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, Luke, you can hardly like take the high ground in this situation you do have no high ground <laughs> hey he catches them touching hands okay all bets are off <laughs> <laughs> that's gonna trigger this is this is kind of the beginning of cock locking luke though <laughs> yes true. he's just doing it in a very clueless way he has no idea that kylo's there so yeah it's like your embarrassing dad stumbling into your like secret call with your boyfriend and he doesn't actually know you're on a secret call with your boyfriend but he's still embarrassed. Yeah, they just have to hang up quickly. Yeah, exactly. Bye! <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing how well that analogy works. It's brilliant. Oh, it totally does. Because he just kind of stumbles in like, what's all that about? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, it's amazing. <laughs> Right, then we have Luke's first lesson to Ray. And yeah, like I'm going to let you talk a bit here, Kirsty, so I've been waffling on. But what did you think about how Luke was characterised and like how he approaches his lesson? I think it's really great because we get this blend of kind of impish humour mm. that he's like gently mocking Ray. Mm. And we get the first instance of him saying that um, every word of that sentence was wrong. Mm. So which obviously comes back later when he's talking to Ben. So I think it's a really great mix of the humour, but also when he starts explaining how the Force connects everything, yeah, like, that part is so great, I think. Yeah. Um, and, like, you know, really emphasising to Ray how everything is connected, and he's kind of catching the audience up to speed as well, because for some people this might be their first trilogy or might even be their first Star Wars film. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and, and that, that quickly gives way to his fear of the dark as well. Which is yeah. so interesting to me because the original trilogy is kind of Luke learning to accept the darkness, right? And that he's accepting his father as Vader and that he loves him and there is still good in him mm. and he's going to bring it back and save him. Yeah. But it kind of is a really great look at that because it's like, yeah, that isn't just the end of the story, though. It's not like once you accept the dark and conquer that fear, it's gone forever. Mm. is that it can always come back and he he says like yeah there was balance for a long time but then there was my nephew and I didn't know how to deal with him mm. so I I really think it's a great kind of demystification of Luke as a legend and we start to see him more as a person again yeah that he has these fears and they're valid and he's been through a lot yeah no definitely I really like the like first lesson about the nature of the force because I really do like get get the strongest sense I think in any of the films of what the force actually is because like I don't think I was coming at it from Ray's angle but I didn't have like a very lucid picture in my head of what it was and what it meant in this universe and I think now I do you know like now I've seen 
like how it played out according to how Luke explained it. It's like, oh, that makes sense. I can see how that works and why that's such a crucial binding force in this galaxy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the way it's illustrated. I just think it, it does a better job of explaining all that than Yoda did in Empire, in my opinion. Yeah. Even though that was great too. Yeah. But I just think it's it's just does a better job of conveying how connected everything is. Yeah. And that there is... It, it displays the contrast, right? That for every darkness, there has to be a light and there's chaos and order and death and life and warmth and cold. Mm. And Ray is the one saying these things, but he has opened, he's allowed her to tap into that. Yeah. Um, because obviously at first she doesn't know what she's doing and she does that reaching out thing. Yeah. And he like contextualizes everything for her basically. Yeah. Powerful light, powerful darkness. Exactly. And yeah, then at the end, we basically get Luke's mission statement. And this is the lesson, that Force does not belong to the Jedi. To say that if the Jedi die, the light dies, is vanity. Can you feel that? You went straight to the dark. It offered something you needed. And you didn't even try to stop yourself. In that second part, by the way, there's a bit of a break between the first part of that dialogue and the second part. Because the second part comes after Ray actually like reaches mentally into the cave at the bottom of the island, and obviously Luke's freaked out mm-hmm. by that. Yeah, and I I think it's interesting because a lot of what he's saying here, it's not wrong. The Force doesn't belong to the Jedi, mm. and that is a form of vanity for the Jedi to feel that ownership. Yeah, and be precious about it because it belongs to all people, even people who aren't strong with the Force. There's still the Force inside them, like. Clearly, the way they're explaining it here is that it lives in everything. Mm. Um, so, yeah, he's right about that. And I think that's the beauty of what Ryan's done with this story. It's like, these characters who are wrong, yes, they might be wrong, but they're not entirely wrong. They have a point of view that's valid and worth considering. Yeah. Right. Then we have a question here from Clee on Twitter. Luke has always seemed more serene from Ray and Kylo, who have more aggression in them. Do you think that his serenity may have played a part in his failures? Like he was too different from his two students and therefore didn't understand how to approach them. What a great question that is. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting because Luke has his moments of anger, obviously. Mm. Like I, I watched Return of the Jedi a few days ago. And I was yes. like, oh yeah, he really does get worked up, especially when obviously we have that moment where Vader discovers that he has a sister and like considers turning her. Mm. Um, he does have that anger. He's just He recognises it just in time. Yeah. Um, I think there's just this like subtextual, oh, I just don't understand the youth thing. Yeah. Right? Um, but Ray and Kylo are both extremely powerful and they're both very passionate. And mm. um, yeah, he sees that darkness in them and is like, oh, I don't know what to do with this. Yeah. Um, and it kind of shies away from it out of fear that, yeah, he could do some damage because. Well, he really did with with Ben and admits eventually to that mistake. So, yeah, I guess it is that he's very different from them. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, no, definitely. Like you, I absolutely think it's like at least in part a generational thing and like a metaphor because it is almost like this like elder person's like fear of these young people's like rampant sexuality, (laughs) which is like a part of it is obviously not the whole part of it. 
yeah, it's like older people forgetting what it's like to be a teenager, which yeah. you see all the time in life, right? That even though they live through that themselves, as we get older and we take on all these new concerns and everything and you move further away from that mm. period in your life, um, you find it harder to empathise with those struggles. I think that's really right. And I think it also applies to Ray more generally because I think when Ray comes to the island, she is very much like Luke in A New Hope. She is that like young, naive, optimistic person She's been hearing all these grand stories, these legendary galactic heroes, and she's been inspired by them. And that was basically Luke, to an extent. I think they make it clearer that that's going on with Rey than they did with Luke in the original film. But I think it's equally true of both of them. And yeah, I think you're right to say that he has kind of forgotten that that was once him. And I think as he goes through the film, I think he does remember that that was once him. And that's what gives him the confidence and the faith in Rey to think okay she's gonna be the new jedi now she is in that place that i was once in and that's what the galaxy needs this new young person with this like optimistic and hopeful outlook that me being jaded and bitter and experienced i don't have anymore yeah he regains that hope and i think even though it's more subtle i think that while he has that faith restored through ray i think also the way he talks about ben at the end as well is very different from how he talks about kylo at the beginning yeah um that, yeah, he saw this darkness in him and it was too late and now he's Kylo. Mm. But to Leia, he says, like, no one's ever really gone. So there is this unspoken, like, possibility of him coming back. Yeah, exactly. It's all about his arc. Right. So then, after that lesson about the nature of the Force and Luke getting freaked out because of Rey's dark side, um, we see Luke watching Rey as he practices, first with her staff and then with the saber. And, yeah, he has, like, an ambiguous expression as he looks at her. Like, what would you say you get from his expression, Kirsty? I think there's some scepticism. Mm. And disapproval, again, because of how he sees her, like, again, destroying the caretaker's property. <laughs> yes, that's so funny. <laughs> I laugh so hard every time. Yeah, but, like, it's like, well, what do you expect, dude? You're not helping her with this stuff. Mm. <laughs> so if you're just silently looking on yeah, she's going to make some mistakes because while we've seen that Rey can use a saber and protect herself and she did take down Kylo because he wasn't interested in actually harming her, Mm. um, unless she's going to get proper instruction. I mean, even when we see her later in the throne room, she's untrained. Like she has this real unfinished, raw feel to her fighting style as as Kylo does. So, yeah. Yeah, it's just not the emphasis of this movie, right? It's not like he's actually teaching her how to use the saber and how to fight, because that's not really what's important. Yeah, exactly. That's like the last thing on his mind, and I think it's the thing he thinks is the least important. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then in lesson two, we get Luke telling Rey about the failures of the Jedi and how they've been romanticised in the popular canon if you will, and it's really cool. Like he talks about Sidious even, and how the like Jedi basically allowed the rise of the Empire, and the Jedi was responsible for the creation of Darth Vader. And yeah, like he's just really obsessed with the negative in that moment. And yeah, but like, what did you think about that whole scene, Kirsty? I think this is again another example of how Ryan must have looked at the prequels, right, and mm. kind of tried to sum up their story in a way that someone like Luke, who came after it and 
lived in a very different time period, like the fall from grace of the Jedi, yeah. would perceive it. Mm. Um, I think Ryan's tweeted before about how the prequels are about a good person who basically succumbs to this fascist ideology out of fear, which yeah. is obviously very relevant in today's political climate. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's very powerful. And I just love that we're getting this kind of discussed in-universe because fans have been debating about the Jedi for a long time. And I think that is by design. The story is supposed to present you with the good and the bad because that's what people are like. Mm. Um, but Luke is in this very negative desperate place so that's yeah. what he's presenting to Ray, and she's kind of delivering the counterpoints exactly and I like it because both of them are equally truthful with what they say mm. like Luke yeah. raises very good points and they're all true and Ray also raises very good points and they're all true I think the idea is perhaps that both of them they're so mired in their respective like outlooks on everything like Luke is so fixated on the negative and Ray is so fixated on the positive that it kind of hampers and limits them and that the truth lies in finding like a balance between the two it's like okay the Jedi messed up a lot they did lots of bad things they made lots of mistakes but the Jedi also did lots of great things and are responsible for lots of good in the galaxy and both of those things can be true at once and they don't necessarily negate each other and because both are true, it does mean that you can make a case of why the Jedi should continue. Yeah, I think this is where a lot of the Grey Jedi discussion came in fandom as well. Like, I know the term Grey Jedi gets a lot of flack, but it's, it's mostly used, in my opinion, because people don't have a better term, because it kind of means a new form of the Jedi Order, right? Because we mm. had the Jedi Order that we saw in the prequels, and then Luke in himself was kind of a new form, mm. um, because he didn't have the rigorous code that they, or it wasn't, ex- at least it wasn't explicitly stated that he lived by a code. Um, yeah. Not to the same degree that they did. And then Ray is the next generation. So just like with religions that we know in real life, they evolve, they have denominations, you know, like Christianity today is not what Christianity was like 2000 years ago. Mm. Like something like that evolves with the culture. So Luke as a Jedi was not the same as his father as a Jedi and Ray will not be the same as Luke as a Jedi. Like that's kind of what they're saying here that um, the Jedi Order with its rigorous codes and part of that is the reason that Anakin fell. So they have to look at the mistakes of the past to move forward. Like, I feel like that's a pretty clear theme in the movie and it does relate to the Jedi as well. Yeah. So we haven't seen what Rey is going to be like as a Jedi in terms of setting out a new code or whatever. They probably, I'd be surprised if JJ does go with that in nine. It might be something that's set out in books later on. Yeah. Um, but I think this is kind of what fans have been discussing with the term Grey Jedi. It's that, yeah, they screwed up in lots of ways. And as they move forward, um, Ray is going to have to look at the mistakes and the successes and decide what matters to her mm. and for the future generation. No, that's really well expressed and very truthful, I think. Um, yeah, then at the end of that second lesson, we get a flashback from Luke's point of view to what happened with Ben. And this is like the first of several like Rashomon-esque flashbacks because we see the same moment from various points of view. And yeah, this first flashback is very like vague, basically. You see Luke enter Ben's hut, but you don't see what happens inside him. And then you see the aftermath with the temple burning and bodies in front of it. 
and yeah, Luke says, I went to confront him and he turned on me. Leia blamed Snoke, but it was me. I failed. And yeah, it's such a heartbreaking moment because I think Luke obviously means that he failed in these multiple senses. He didn't just fail as a teacher. He also failed as an uncle and he failed as like a guardian to this boy because he had basically taken on that father figure role. And yeah, it's just sad on so many levels. Yeah, and of course this is Luke giving us a sanitised version of the story because he's not quite ready to admit what he did to Ray. Um, yeah. But still, he's acknowledging that that's how he feels. He feels like he failed Ben. Mm. Um, so, exactly. yeah, and acknowledging that he was aware of Snoke from the beginning as well, just like Leia was. Mm. So... And it's interesting, isn't it, that Luke's so willing to like talk about the failures of the Jedi and all these bad things they did, but he isn't yet willing to fully talk about his own mistakes and how he messed up. And I guess it probably frightens him, to be honest, to admit to that, because, yeah, he messed up in a big way. Like, he says a Jedi was responsible for the rise of Darth Vader. He probably feels like Luke Skywalker was, was responsible for the rise of Kylo, Kylo Ren. Well, that is exactly what he says, but... He just doesn't go into detail about how much that was true. I think, yeah, I think that's what's all connected here. He's saying the Jedi have to end not only because of what happened to his father, but that the cycle continued with what he thinks he did to Kylo. Yeah. So, yeah, obviously there's something wrong with whatever was going on. And it, it does kind of raise these interesting questions about blame and responsibility, right? Mm. Because, you know, you have to look at the prequels and think that Anakin was partly responsible for his own actions. Yeah. Um, but also it is more complicated than that because everyone lives in, you know, they're surrounded by a context that can either facilitate that kind of behavior or, I don't know, shape it in some way because everyone who he interacted with had an impact on him. Yeah. Like when he went to Yoda and told him, I'm afraid I keep seeing these visions of, someone I care about dying and Yoda was like well suck it up mm. <laughs> you know it happens celebrate the fact that they're going to die it's like okay Anakin is obviously not going to go that way so <laughs> yeah <laughs> so so deeply misguided <laughs> yeah um so we have this question from Sophie on Twitter she says do you think it's fair to pin any blame on Kylo's fall on Luke do you think he's partially responsible, wholly responsible, or just blaming himself? Or do you agree with Ray that Kylo failed Luke? I think that's all true to a certain degree. With mm. like Ray saying that Kylo failed Luke, yes, he did, but then Luke also failed Kylo. Like it's yeah, it's all there. Um, yeah, I, I think the first option is the correct one. He's partially responsible, so I think yeah, like in a way, Luke is to blame because he didn't stop Snoke's influence on Ben and he obviously like proved the last straw in going to Ben's hut and having that moment of doubt where he ignited the saber and considered for the briefest of moments killing him because yeah that sent Ben over the edge basically into becoming Kylo Ren but that isn't to say that Kylo didn't have a choice Kylo did still have a choice in that moment and he chose poorly he chose to reject his uncle without seeking an explanation and he did also like willingly like betray the Jedi and kill the other students and go to Snoke 
So, yeah, it's not like a clear-cut assignment of blame, basically. Yeah, it's like a horrible self-fulfilling prophecy that Mm. Luke had kind of already decided when he looked into Kylo's mind. Oh, yes, he's really dark, you know, and like, and he he went there almost knowing that that was what was going to happen and then ignited the saber because what does he say like he would destroy everything that i love yeah but doesn't he love ben like isn't he included in that yeah that's so a really he, good he point. is very aware that he made he messed up here yeah like and i don't think that anyone could like defend what luke does they can understand it mm. like i you know it's him being fallible being human like reacting in an instant and then realizing that he messed up and being tragically too late to extinguish the saber before ben turns around yeah but yeah he messed up Mm. like said it's definitely not the right solution to kill your nephew (laughs) yeah exactly we're giving serious moral advice here So yeah, you can say like, yeah, Luke is partially responsible for the creation of Kylo, but then that doesn't mean that Kylo is then not responsible for his own behavior as Kylo. Exactly. He absolutely is. It's just people interact in these ways, mess up, and then it has this knock-on effect. Yeah, it's complicated. (laughs) Um, Right, then we also have a question from Swara on Twitter. I was listening to Book Wars pod talking about Luke's emotional whiplash during Return of the Jedi nearly killing his father, nearly killed by the Emperor, saved by his father, father dies, and being left with the emotional fallout for years afterwards. Based on this, as a result of that trauma and never being the same after Return of the Jedi, that may have effectively broke Luke in the long term towards The Last Jedi in his contemplating killing Ben. What are your thoughts on this, and how he perceived Luke's demeanour in The Last Jedi? Wow, what an intense question. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, what do you think, Kirsty? I think there's absolutely trauma there. Mm. Like, so much terrible stuff happens in Star Wars. Yeah. The poor Skywalkers have suffered through so much. And yeah, there's not really any time during the original trilogy to, like, pause and reflect. So after that, and then Han and Leia have been so soon after the war ends, um, there's just not really any time for people to process. Like, is there equivalent of counseling or therapy in the Star Wars galaxy because they all need it <laughs> yes they do they need it so desperately I mean, we're watching like a Greek tragedy play out so obviously everything is very heightened and everything is felt very strongly but also not always expressed like I think Ryan was talking about this the other day in the original trilogy so much terrible stuff happens mm. like with Leia's entire planet and everyone she knows being destroyed and it's not even really commented on yeah no, like, Leia never has a moment to grieve, really. She's the one comforting Luke. <laughs> and yeah, Luke goes through terrible stuff too. So yeah, like, mm. as these, this is just a handful of the stuff that Luke goes through. So yeah. yeah, of course he's suffering from intense trauma. And then he is the person that Ben is learning from. So if, if, if Luke is still struggling with that stuff and keeping secrets because he and Leia never told Ben about... Mm. it's all going to come to a head at some point yeah no it's so true it's a very messed up family save them (laughs) they definitely need help from outsiders they can't help themselves anymore at this point basically poor Ray (laughs) (laughs) oh my god um right then to move on with the action in the movie um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Your notes are amazing, Kirsty. 
Um, we have just just before Kylo and Ray's shirtless bond scene, we get Luke communicating through the Force with Leia. He has reconnected to the Force and is able to reach her even while she's in her coma. Over the course of the movie, we see Luke and Leia gradually reunited, from him seeing the hologram to through the Force to him appearing on crates and saying goodbye. That's very nicely observed and really true. There's like a nice sense of progression there. Yeah, I do like to think of The Last Jedi as gradually Luke coming to return to his sister yeah. and reuniting the family. Obviously, we don't get that physical reunion between him and Han, and he mm. can only appear to Leia through astral projection, but it's enough. It gets them interacting, that she forgives him. Yeah. And I think Ryan said this, even though obviously it wasn't planned to be their goodbye, in hindsight, with Carrie dying, it feels like it is a goodbye between those characters. Yeah, exactly. And I'm so, so happy we had that. Because I remember before the movie we had um, the EW covers and I think one of them had Luke and Leia and it posed the question, will Luke and Leia reunite? And I think we both agreed they better because that is not something you tease if you do not give it to us, you know? Exactly. Yeah, this is the last chance. So I'm really glad that we got that. Yeah, definitely. I think the very fact that we see Luke reaching out in the Force to Leia, I think that shows how much his resolve for the Jedi to end and for him to be cut off from the Force and everything. It shows how much that's being broken down by having this new presence in his life in the form of Rey. Because I do think she brings that hope back for him and he sees something of himself in her. And I think that's really like healing and restorative for him in a way. So... Yeah, like, so I know before the film, again, sorry, I keep on using that phrase, they said that the relationship between Rey and Luke was the beating heart of the movie. And while I'm not completely sure I agree with that, having seen it, so I think the relationship between Rey and Kylo is more important, I do think that it is very integral how Luke and Rey interact, and I think they do both really help each other, even though things got off to a bad start. Yeah, I mean, she inspires him to connect to the Force again after they've had that lesson. Mm. And um, this is his first act to connect to the Force, to connect with his sister. Like, how beautiful is that? Yeah. And and it's very, it clearly echoes them in Empire, right? Yeah, totally. Which I always love. <laughs> right. And then our favourite scene, <laughs> the next time we see Luke... <laughs> He's exploding the hut because he catches Ray holding his naughty nephew's hand. <laughs> I love how we see him like running through the rain going, Ray! <laughs> it's like, okay, so what? Like, what is going through his mind there? Because it's like, can he sense that Kylo's there and he's running to warn her? Mm. Or is it just like, Ray, I need you to help me with something. <laughs> Wait, what's this? Oh my God. I do think he has to sense Kylo. Because he must know how Kylo feels in the Force, because obviously he was training him as a Jedi for however many years. And we know that he's reconnected to the Force because of that scene with Leia. So everything's coming in again. And I think he senses Kylo's presence like on the island in some capacity, but he probably doesn't understand in what capacity. He might even think that Kylo's physically there, because, yeah, like, what does Luke know or understand of the connection between Rey and Kylo we never really get a sense of that and yeah it makes sense that he'd be like no way you get away from that bad influence girl because <laughs> yeah stop <laughs> no sex I'm sorry, on my it island is really funny. <laughs> it is hilarious it just makes my mind 
just think of all these like AU situations, <laughs> which are really not like AU yeah. because it's so. Clear. He he sees that, and then yeah, he sees that, and then demands that she leave this island. It's like she's now <laughs> tainted. Yeah, because she touched the naughty nephew's hand. <laughs> Defiled. <laughs> Like she's being cast yeah, out I mean, from the she... nunnery. I wonder at this point, like, does he know that she went into the cave again after he'd warned her away? Mm. Like, it's just that she's—it's clear that she's not going to just listen to him and obey. Yeah. So it's a very interesting master-apprentice relationship. I mean, yeah, definitely. Obviously, we have a precedent for it. It's not like Anakin ever paid attention to Obi Wan, but yeah, it's very much like um. Like to get a bit biblical is a bit like Eve and like the tree, you know. Like you're told, do not touch the thing. The thing is off limits. It's very, very bad, and bad things will happen if you touch it. And nah, Ray goes there anyway. Yeah, I mean, it is like that because Ray isn't afraid of the light or dark, right? That she mm. will go and explore and get what she needs, and she will feel compassion for Kylo Ren and tell him it's not too late and that he's not alone. Yeah. Um, I think Luke is just baffled by that because here comes this girl who isn't afraid yeah exactly and i think it's interesting as well to compare the fact that ray goes into that cave and she goes to that purely of her own volition purely because she wants answers for her own sake whereas i think in empire if i'm remembering it correctly when luke goes to that cave it's because yoda literally tells him to go in there so (laughs) it's a very different situation and it's much more about Rey asserting her independence and her will rather than Luke just following his orders and taking the lessons that his teacher wants him to. Yeah, I think Luke really does need Rey. He needs to see this, to see like an, a hopeful, brave young person mm. um, who isn't afraid. Yeah, And even though he warns her, he says, like, this isn't going to go the way you think. Don't, don't go after him. Um... He, I think he needs to see that because I think that's what really is a catalyst for him then projecting onto Crate. Very much so. It's still shocking to me, like every time I see it, that she starts hitting him with her staff and like demanding that he explain this to her and that he created Kylo Ren. Like these are really bold things. Mm, definitely. No, I, I, I really love it. And I love the like passionate feelings on both sides. And the fact that like Ray is so defensive of Ben Solo, which I really love because it's a sign of like how far their feelings have progressed, which is great. And then on Luke's part, I think you see all that like emotion flooding over him, like, and he's really like owning up to his own guilt and responsibility, pure in a pure and honest way for the first time, which I think is really powerful. Yeah. And and being forced to confess, like, this is actually what happened. This is the full story. Yeah. So this is what Luke says when he's recounting what happened with Ben. Like, and I think this version is the version that's closest to the truth. I saw darkness. I'd sensed it building in him. I'd seen it in moments during his training. But then I looked inside, and it was beyond what I ever imagined. Snoke had already turned his heart. He would bring destruction and pain and death and the end of everything I love because of what he will become. And for the briefest moment of pure instinct, I thought I could stop it. It passed like a fleeting shadow and I was left with shame and with consequence. And the last thing I saw were the eyes of a frightened boy whose master had failed him. 
Oh, it's so sad. Yeah. And it I, is tragedy. Mm, totally. And I love how you see how utterly heartbroken Luke is to remember this. Mm. And I think he'd probably suppressed it for his own sake as much as anyone else's because it's the kind of truth that's almost like unbearable, you know? Like, if you accept this, like, how can you live with yourself almost? You know, yeah. thinking about what he would go on to do and how he must have felt in that moment. Yeah, it just breaks my heart up into little pieces. Yeah, and I think what Ray says next is what Luke is feeling, right? That he had made the choice for Ben at that point. Yeah. Because he pushes him. Not to, again, I feel like you're really walking on eggshells with this stuff because you don't want to upset people who are like fans of one character more than another or whatever. Like, I'm not blaming Luke because mm. it's not really about that. It's just like recognizing that he had a part in it and he made a choice just as then Ben did. Yeah. And it's this horrible knock on effect where everyone is partly culpable. Yes. Um, and it just needs to be. The, the chain needs to be broken somehow. Yeah. Um, but this much. is the second chapter of the trilogy, so it, it does have this, like, hopeless feel. Yeah. I think it's interesting that he says he saw the eyes of a frightened boy whose master had failed him. Yeah. So he's thinking of him as himself as a master as opposed to a family member. I don't yeah. know how conscious that is, but... I was thinking that, and it also makes Ben so young. Because mm. if Bloodline still, hold, still holds sway, then we can assume that Ben didn't turn into losing his early 20s. Right. And yeah, it does make Ben sound like more of a child than a young man. And it's interesting actually seeing the discussion around this go on online, because obviously a lot of people are upset that Luke would do this, like even in the capacity of he would contemplate this for the briefest moment. And I've seen people say, how could Luke possibly think of killing a child? It's monstrous, blah, 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 that sort of thing. And I think that comes through because of how Luke talks about it, you know, and and also because of how they depict, like, Ben in that moment. Because they mm. do make Adam Driver look amazingly young. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, like you say, we know he's 23, but I don't think that's uh, information that a lot of the audience has. Yeah, you only really know that from Bloodline, and I think even The Force Awakens kind of pushes this idea that he fell pretty young because, mm. like, Han hadn't seen him in years and everything. Um, so yeah, like, this is almost Luke wooifying Kylo Ren, right? <laughs> like, calling him a frightened boy. And I think in their interactions later on on Crate, like, that's what he sees in front of him a frightened, scared boy who's lashing out. Yeah, exactly. He doesn't see like a fearsome threat to be taken seriously in that confrontation scene. He just sees like an angry teenager, I think. Yeah. Struggling with feelings. Uh Um, Right, do you want to read out the Twitter question? Sure. So Kelly asks, maybe a deep cut, but I'm interested in how you feel Luke fits in with the deeply gendered narrative of female sexuality that the movie constructs, especially with regard to how he's a very feminine character hero in the OT. Does he occupy a more masculine role in TLJ by comparison? Yes, I would say so, especially at the outset. Although, again, as I think we touched on before, I think his journey, like, as part of being inspired by Ray, I think maybe he rediscovers that, like, softer, more compassionate part of himself, like what people would consider the more feminine qualities that Luke possessed in the original trilogy. Because... 
I think that place of like this deep cynicism and hopelessness, he does seem very much like that gruff old man model in those scenes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, so I think he becomes that like softer person again towards the end of the film. And that's what we should want because we should want for Luke to go back to that place he achieved in the original trilogy, which I think he does to an extent. Yeah. And I think because we see him journeying back to Leia, that is him kind of returning to the divine feminine, right? That, yeah. Um, she's, I mean, I know it's icky now, but in the original Star Wars, Leia is Luke's anima. So yes. they're kind of playing with that here too, obviously in a very different way. Oh um, God, yeah. Without the whole sexual thing. Of, <laughs> yeah. In terms of what she represents to him, like that is a reconciliation and and Ray represents that too, but obviously in a in a younger generational sense. Um, so yeah, I think that's why we get him doing this whole ha ha, cock blocking, Ray and Kylo, not understanding, telling her to resist it. Like it's that he's subtextually he's afraid of that. Like he's afraid of that feminine energy. I mean, I know again, it's like you can you can see it or you you don't have to see it. It's just one reading. Um, but I think it's maybe a through line that's going on because you see it with the other characters too, um, like Poe and Holdo and Finn and Rose to a lesser extent. Yeah. There's this like weird push and pull um, and then ultimately learning from these female characters. Yeah, that's really nicely put actually. And I think it also goes back to how we see like the force connection scene between Luke and Leia we see that connected to the force bond scene with rain kylo because uh-huh. yeah like i do think there are definite similarities there not in the sense that they're going to be secret brother and sister but in the <laughs> sense that you see these like male and feminine figures like discovering each other and becoming more whole through their interaction with one another because yeah the original plan was not for luke and leia to be biologically related it was more about like these feminine and masculine elements combining in like a Jungian sense. And mm-hmm. I think that's what they're doing again with Rain Kylo, but in a more like pure and consistent way without like, hey, hey we're related. <laughs> yeah, I think that ship has sailed. Yes, very much so. So after Ray leaves the island, that's kind of a turning point for Luke because he's like, right, she didn't listen to me. I'm going to go through with it now. This really is me ending it all. So maybe this is him getting back to what he was doing before he was so rudely interrupted. (laughs) He changes back into the robes. Yes. Takes flame, uh, goes to burn the tree, and he thinks that the texts are inside it. um, And he's going to set it on fire until Yoda appears. So desperate times. Yeah. Desperate times call for desperate measures. And... (laughs) Oh, I love the conversation with Yoda and Luke so much. It's just so brilliant. Yeah. Would you like to be Yoda? Can you do <laughs> sure. Yoda, Kirsty? <laughs> uh, probably not, but I'll give it a go. <laughs> okay, go wild. Ah, uh, Skywalker. Missed you, have I. So it is time for the Jedi Order to end. Time it is. Hmm. For you to look past a pile of old books, hmm? The sacred Jedi texts? Oh, read them, have you? Well, I... Page turners, they were not. Yes, yes, yes. Wisdom they held, but that library contained nothing that the girl Ray does not already possess. Skywalker, 
still looking to the horizon, never here now, hmm? The need in front of your nose, hmm? I was weak, unwise. Lost Ben Solo, you did. Lose Ray, we must not. I can't be what she needs me to be. Heeded my words not, did you? Pass on what you have learned. Strength, mastery, but weakness, folly, failure also, yes, failure most of all. The greatest teacher failure is. Luke, we are what they grow beyond. That is the true burden of all masters. It's what so a beautiful. perfect scene. Yeah, it, this, it's so great. It really is. And I think just the way that Ryan nailed Yoda, that's so impressive. Because I think it's easy when you're trying to write Yoda to just make it like a parody or to make it like fortune cookie wisdom. You know, whereas I do think there's something really genuinely profound and meaningful in this. Yeah, honestly, uh, I guess this is kind of Yoda's redemption arc for me. <laughs> I have I never it. been his biggest fan, and especially not in the prequels. I was watching Revenge of the Sith last night again, and I was like, stop! <laughs> so much um, rage. Yeah. So I really love this scene. I think it's great, and uh, it's setting out the themes of the movie pretty clearly. Like, yes, we are what they grow beyond. And this is Yoda talking about his relationship with Luke too. Mm. Yeah. What's your takeaway for like what he's like actually telling like Luke beyond like the actual facts of the words he's saying here? So I kind of get the impression he's telling Luke, like, look, it's okay to let Ray go off and make these choices and do these things that might seem unwise or foolish that's what you did because that's like what everyone has to go through you have to make mistakes and then you have to learn from them and therefore it's okay to let Ray run off you can't be this like uber strict guardian and like preventing her from going anywhere and like trying to protect her from like bad situations you know she needs to be allowed to go off and make mistakes is that kind of what you get from this yeah, and I think that's what Yoda learned when he was training Luke. Yeah. Um, and he's kind of reminding him of that. Yeah. And I think he's also kind of saying to Luke that it's okay that he messed up with Kylo. Like, not okay, okay. <laughs> but he's acknowledging, yes, you failed, but that is something that happens. And as long yeah. as you learn from it and go forward, that's just part of life. Yeah, exactly. And I guess, like, if you think about what happened with Ben Solo... Like Luke felt afraid of Ben because he feared he was falling to the dark and falling forever and that there was no way back for him. And like I think Luke's initial responses to Ray and discovering that there's these dark elements in Ray, they indicate that he could be heading towards like a similar state of mind with regards to her. You know, mm. because if he looks at Ben and he just sees this horrible threat to the galaxy because of his power and because of his dark in- inclinations, then well, Ray's equally powerful, and Ray's also drawn to the dark. So if Luke were to repeat his mistakes, then there could be a similar, like, I'm about to murder you in your sleep moment. Um, obviously, the film doesn't even come close to doing that. But I think it is a lesson in the fact that think Luke is going about things differently, and he's not repeating the mistakes he made with Ben. And, yeah, I think Yoda is just reminding him, like, yeah, you, you're doing okay, you just need to chill out and step back and let things play out a bit more. I think very subtly, we've talked about this before, but I think very subtly they do present that as a potential direction for Luke. Like if he were to make the same mistakes 
like talking about how he sensed this power before and he was afraid of it and mm. and he and, and and he he's not gonna be okay with it now like and standing over Ray as she's sleeping and little bits like that and yeah and Kylo like desperately saying like has he told you what happened um it all points to this like potential for Luke to fail again with Ray in the same way yes but obviously because it's a story he's not going to go the same way they're not going to tell that exact same story twice so yeah and you get that with Ray saying like Kylo failed you I won't like this is going to go differently because it has to yeah precisely right then we have a question from Christian on Twitter do you think Luke ever actually read any of the Jedi texts <laughs> Ooh. I-, I think he at least started them <laughs> got bored yeah you know what it's like when you pick up like one of the great like classics of the literary canon and you can see what is all worthy and important but it's just deadly dull I yeah. think something like that I mean we see him go into the tree and open them and then he just kind of touches the pictures <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe that's... Luke can't read <laughs> that's amazing the pictures are pretty <laughs> I'd the love sacred that. Jedi chair <laughs> Yeah, and just quickly, actually, I do love this whole idea of you shouldn't just venerate things because they're considered holy and, like, beyond, like, criticism. Like, yeah, you shouldn't just venerate things for the sake of it. There should be, like, a practical purpose in them. They need to serve a use and a function. And I think that's really expressed well with the books because what are they doing in that tree just sat on a bookshelf? Like, we don't think Luke is reading them. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And they actually serve a much greater purpose and have much more value with Ray in the Falcon, where she can thumb through them and actually, hopefully, read them and learn from them. So yeah, it's interesting, really, because he goes from revering them and like having them on the shelf in this sacred tree to then deciding to burn them. Mm. But if the if the idea is that he hasn't actually read them at that point, it's like where you're going from one extreme to the other without actually having read them and made up your own mind yourself yeah so presumably that's what ray is going to do unless jj decides to drop the text whatever but um there'll there'll be something there to symbolize ray discovering more about the jedi and the force presumably for nine yeah absolutely whether it's the books or something else um but yeah you're right look luke goes through lots of stages with the books you could say they have like it's complicated on their facebook (laughs) relationship status (laughs) (laughs) oh gosh um right then we have another twitter question would you like to read it out kirsty sure this is from wired birdie to what degree is luke a proxy for the audience he has to come to terms with his story and his role and how it will change in the larger story much as we as an audience do he grapples with the hazards and values of these Star Wars stories in the same way we must. Wow. Um, I really don't have much to add to that because I just think that's exactly right. And it's not something mm-hmm. I'd really thought about before. But I think that's completely correct. Um, yeah, and I think it's important that Luke is the figure who's used to express that because yeah, like Luke is the main figure of identification for many, many people who grew up with the original trilogy. So I think by showing him going through that progression and evolution. I think hopefully that should, in theory, make it easier for the audience to go through that progression as well. Yeah, it's one of these things where it's like it can either be 
um, very relatable if people recognize themselves as Luke and accept that story as something that they can consider relevant to their own lives. Or mm. you can see what we've seen with some older fans who've rejected the story and said, that's not my Luke because he's a hero and he's always optimistic. As like, I don't want to psychoanalyze strangers. <laughs> but yes. to me, that would be, it could possibly read as this like refusal to accept um that there will be a new generation who think differently and want to do things different. Yeah. You know, because Star Wars is a generational story and yes, Ray and Kylo are going to do things differently and they'll mess up in different ways to how Luke did. Yeah. And that a new story has to be told like that. It can't be Luke's story anymore. Yeah. So him sitting on his Island feeling sorry for himself, he can't keep doing that. Yeah. Um, and he has to recognize himself to be part of their story in a meaningful way, even if he isn't the main event anymore. Yeah. No, that's very true. So I guess there is something almost selfish about like wanting to burn the books. It's like, well, I deem that these books are harmful, so therefore I am going to destroy them. And obviously, well, you Luke... see that in mm-hmm. you see that in fans who want to strike the Last Jedi from canon. Yeah, no, very much so. It's so meta in that way. <laughs> it's really fascinating. Yeah, yeah. No, it's about what gives you that authority, Luke. <laughs> yeah. I do, I do relate to Luke in this story, but I'm also I'm closer to Ray and Kylo in age, and I'm not a parent or even an aunt yet, so I don't have his feeling of responsibility and guilt for the younger generation yet. Yeah. Um, like I do find what Yoda talks to him about here uh, very relevant mm. and meaningful, but again, it doesn't have to be such a literal um, way to relate to it. Yeah. So, yeah, I think we're supposed to relate in different ways to all of the different characters. Yeah, definitely. Luke and Snoke's words. Oh, right, yeah, sorry, I didn't realise what the note was about at first. My brain's a bit slow. Oh, yeah, sorry. So this part of the movie, we see Luke uh, kind of disappear for a while, right? Until yeah. he turns up on Crate. So um, even though he's not physically in the story, we do get Luke in Snoke's words once Ray's gone to the, the throne room. So. Yeah. Um, I don't have the actual quote here, but he presumed that um, as Kylo gained strength in the darkness, his counterpart would get become as strong in the light. And he presumed that that would be Luke, but it's actually Rey. So it kind mm-hmm. of symbolizes what we were just talking about, this passing of the torch to the next generation. Yeah, definitely. And it's so interesting to me that Snoke just assumed that it would be Skywalker. And I think that indicates how short-sighted and ignorant Snoke was because, like, yeah, you have to be a bit of an idiot, really, to think that Luke Skywalker would be Kylo Ren's compliment in the Force. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, again, it's that whole misunderstanding of the dynamics because Luke is, like, above Kylo. He's, like, the senior figure. He's the teacher. He's the almost parental figure. He's not like on a level with Kylo. And yeah, I think that's why Rey is his actual counterpart because yeah, they're peers. Yeah, I think again, it touches on something that you wrote in your essay about the Skywalker hubris Mm. that Snoke shared that and presumed that the only person who could match Kylo's power would have to be another Skywalker, right? Yeah. And of course it's not, it's a nobody. Mm. Exactly, and that's so powerful. And that's why everyone underestimates Rey because she's considered to come from this low birth and be like a peasant basically but nope she's just as awesome Mm -hmm. 
Right, then, as you said, Kirsty, we don't see Luke for a while, but then, at the last moment, when we think everything is lost and it's all gone horribly wrong, Luke actually shows up, because, yep, the, re- the Resistance have no other hope, and Luke, the implication clearly is, has finally accepted that he can be that hope and he can be that inspiration again by showing up on the scene. And we get yeah. a really lovely encounter between Luke and Leia. Yeah, I think this is so powerful because it is Luke recognising that he can't solve the problem, but he can do his part. Yeah. Um, and that he can bring that hope to the galaxy again, in yes. even just a small way. Mm. Yeah, no, I think that's really beautiful because I think it shows him accepting like what he means to people like Ray. Like, so if you think about that deleted scene we discussed earlier where... um. Like Ray is speaking to Luke and she's really distressed because she's like, those stories, they were important to me, you know? Like, that's the sentiment she's expressing. And I think Luke really absorbed that and he recognises that, okay, like, regardless of what I've been through in my personal feelings, my personal experiences, I need to put that aside and be what these people need me to be for this moment, even if it's not in the way they would have expected. Yeah, exactly. I, I think that's what's come across in a, a lot of the things that Ryan said as well. Mm. That, um, you know, Broom Boy, who's like become this new center of fan theories, oh, uh, which so, somewhat missed the point in my opinion, but that is just my opinion. No hate. That uh, <laughs> he's a symbol of, you know, the children around the galaxy who are maybe in these horrible situations, just like Ray was, but they need this source of hope to keep going. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's very powerful. Exactly. Right. Do you want to be Leia if we read out the conversation between Luke and Leia? Okay. We fought till the end, but the galaxy has lost all its hope. The spark is out. Luke, I know what you're going to say. I changed my hair. It's nice that way. Leia, I'm sorry. I know. I know you are. I'm just glad you're here at the end. I came to face him, Leia. And I can't save him. I held out hope for so long, but I know my son is gone. No one's ever really gone. And in that moment, as Luke says, that he places the dice from the falcon in Leia's hand. And I really like this exchange. It's so moving and it feels so right. And I know that Ryan said that he spoke to Carrie a lot about the dialogue. And I really do think that a lot of what Leia says here is probably Carrie. Because, yeah, especially the little touch about her hair. Yeah, I think it's so perfect that she wrote that line. And Aww. then probably was consulted on the rest of it. Because, yeah, that's that's totally Carrie. Yeah. No, that's lovely. And, yeah, it all feels so genuine and cathartic to have that reunion between them. And I felt like it was the, like, emotional piece I needed. <laughs> it's like, ah, oh, yeah. resolution. Yeah, I mean, him... Placing those dice into her hand as he says that, he's he's talking not just about Ben, but about Han as well. Yes. And obviously now it takes on a, an extra meaning for the fans as well, because he's talking about Leia and Carrie. Yeah, exactly. It's a really moving scene. And I have seen like, people suggest that um, like it might have been better if things had been cut about and changed, that Leia was the one who did the kamikaze rather than Holdo. What? And, yeah, really? Really, quite a lot. Oh, no. I know. I know. I don't... I think they... People just don't understand how films work, I think, sometimes. 
And I think they thought that, well, the actress is dead, so she won't be in episode nine. So therefore, they should have let her go out of the film in this awesome way. But it's like, no, the entire film was constructed with Leia's arc done exactly as we find it, you know, and awkwardly chopping it about to change that would have ruined it. And I would not want to lose this for anything. I'm sorry. It's just not worth it. You know, how would they have even done that? Because it's not like you can go, oh, yeah. And then they would have her go out and do this. It's like, well, you don't have the actress to do that with the scene now. I've I saw people suggest CGI like Tarkin oh. in Rogue One, which oh, is horrible. Gosh. OK. And we yeah. know they won't do that. So, again, it's just stuff people have suggested, but it's complete fantasy. It won't actually happen. So we're good. <laughs> Yeah, I agree with Ryan that, you know, he, he at first thought, well, how are we going to do this? Are we going to move things around? But that this is the best possible thing to give the fans and Carrie. This yeah. is this is what she filmed. This is what she helped write. And it's meaningful. Yeah, exactly. And I think it completely undermines it to just change it like that for real world reasons. You know, that's just wrong. And it breaks the heart of the story, I think. Um but yeah, to go back to this actual dialogue, I also really appreciate that Luke apologises to Leia for what happened with Ben. And like, I, I'm a little bit sad that Leia is so hopeless about Ben in this scene, but I, you can't possibly blame her for that, you know? It's like, of course she's going to be after what happened. And I think it was constructed in this way because then the idea would have been to have her regain hope in episode 9 because if you think about it episode 8 is the story of Luke regaining hope and then I like to think that episode 9 would have been the story of Leia regaining hope in her son and believing that he could come back again right so. I mean if you look at the time frame over the past couple of days she's lost her her husband who had only just come back into her life and she'd asked him to go and save her son and then she feels like she's lost Ben because of what he did. And then she's lost Amelyn, who has been her friend since she was a teenager. And now she feels like the resistance have lost. Yeah. So what does she have left? Until Luke comes back, she really does feel like there's nothing. Yeah, exactly. And I think we actually see the start of that journey for her, like the journey of Leia regaining hope. Like when Luke says that no one's ever really gone, that's meant to be a comfort. That's meant to be like, please don't be too sad, Leia. Right. <laughs> it's still of- hope how we see her interacting with Rey on the Falcon as well. She's then consoling Rey and giving her hope. Mm. So Exactly. It's like the chain of hope. It's lovely. <laughs> right. Then we see Luke going off to face down Kylo Ren. And Luke is such a badass. <laughs> it's amazing how like angry like Luke makes Kylo. Do you want to talk about that a bit, Kirsty? Yeah, I mean, we've never seen Kylo that angry. Mm. Not not with Finn in The Force Awakens, definitely not with Rey at any point. Even with Snoke, he was kind of simmering with fury, but this is when it all comes out. Yeah. Um, and we've, we, we know why, because of what the story has told us. Um, yes. But also that it's, it's all presented in the way that Luke manifests here. And that mm. he's walking out and that he's playing it up with his cockiness, like the brushing off the shoulder. Um, and the way that, yeah, just it's very like, you can't touch me. Um, yeah. And it's it's a, such a contrast from how Kylo faced Han, you know? Yes. Um, he was filled with conflict then. He was had tears in his eyes. 
But mm. here it's like, no, he doesn't even think about it. He he wants Luke to suffer and die because yeah. of what he perceives as what he tried to do to him. Yeah. No, definitely. Like, I think for Kylo Ren, like, Luke is the villain of his story in all senses, basically. So if you think about it, as far as Kylo is concerned, like, Luke took him away from his parents. Luke attempted to murder him. Luke, like, ruined his connection with Rey to an extent. And now Luke is there to stop him from destroying the Resistance once and for all. It's just this whole chain of awfulness for Kylo and I think there's a lot of trauma coming out in how Kylo responds to Luke yeah there's a lot said here because we've talked about it before like Luke has this humorous element in the whole like brushing off the shoulder and everything and being quite cocky but he's also apologizing to him yeah um and it's the scene is cut with other stuff obviously so it kind of takes off at weird elements like you know, he says, no, I'm not going to save your soul. But then when it cuts back, he says, I failed you, Ben, I'm sorry. So Mm. it's kind of going through these stages where they're feeling all of these different things. Yes. And they're just kind of get everything out. Yeah. Um, But there's still so much left unsaid as well. So it's, it's satisfying and frustrating in equal measure, in my opinion. Yeah. So there's clearly so much story between Luke and Kylo, and we don't know half of it. So yeah, there's a big question mark over it all. Um. Yeah, and oh yeah, and of of course, it's also important to mention that when Luke appears to Kylo, Luke deliberately chooses to manifest himself like as Kylo would remember him. So he wears his old clothing. He has like darker hair. He just looks younger generally, and he has the blue saber. So basically, Luke has carefully calculated his projection to be as inciting to Kylo as possible. <laughs> Which is a bit cruel, but also necessary because it definitely fulfills the intended purpose. Mm. Yeah, there's definitely yeah, like we said, there's a lot going on here. There's like equal parts of him being quite cruel, and then you understand why, but then you also understand him being apologetic, and you also definitely understand Kylo's point of view at this point because of how the story's been constructed. Yeah, we, we, Kylo is completely humanized for the audience at this point. Mm. So, yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. And I think Luke is very much in teacher mode with everything he's saying to Kylo because he treats Kylo a bit like how he treats Rey on the island because Rey was naive and saying all these very simplistic things that just weren't true. And so when Kylo says, I'll destroy her and you and all of it, Luke says, no, strike me down in anger and I'll always be with you, just like your father. So I do think really Luke is trying to help Ben. And he's trying to make Ben aware of his own foolishness by like pointing out like you are wrong <laughs> in so many ways. Yeah, and he recognizes that Kylo will not be feeling good about the fact that he killed his father. Yeah. Like even though that hasn't been stated explicitly to him, it's like, no, I know that he must be tormenting you. Yeah, exactly. He shows empathy for Kylo to a large extent. So yeah, it's very much like a tough love scene. Yeah. And I also really love that Luke's last words to Kylo are, see you around, kid. It's very Han Solo of them. It is. And it also gave Mark a great opportunity to come out with his um, Han Solo impression, because Mark Hamill does a great Harrison Ford. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness gracious me. Um, But yeah, I love that 
I, I love the whole exchange basically with Luke and Kylo. So I really think it's Luke recognizing that he failed Ben, he let Ben down, and now he does want to pick up that responsibility again to a certain extent by trying to teach him lessons still. It's not that he's given up hope, which I have read as an interpretation and I strongly disagree with. It's that he does have hope again, and that's the whole point of his arc, that he believes there's purpose in giving Kylo these lessons. It's not just about taunting him and telling him he's wrong for the sake of it. It's telling him he's wrong, like in the hope of getting Kylo to wake up to think about what he's saying and to hopefully like change something about himself. Like, and obviously Luke recognises it's not going to be like instant and it's not going to work with him as the source of this guidance and this push to the light because he recognises that he can't save him because of everything that's gone down. But he does still have that hope in Ben and he does what he can to help him still. And I really like that. Yeah, and I I do think, depending on how you look at it, this is how I look at it, I think he is successful because then we see Kylo marching into the base mm. and looking up at Ray, and he must be having some form of realisation there. Yeah. Um, and it's it's obviously in reaction to how Ray responds, but I think everything that went down between him and Luke there is built up to that point. Very much. So. Yeah. It just remains to be seen how that's going to manifest in Nine, but there's no way it won't have an impact on him. Yeah, exactly. There's a really interesting relationship, and I really, really hope we get Force Ghost Luke visiting Kylo Ren in Episode Nine. I'm sure we will. Yeah, I hope so too. I think it'd be more powerful to have him interacting with Kylo than Rey at this point, because we've had a fair amount of Rey and Luke interacting. Yeah. But here is where the unfinished business is. Oh, definitely. With Ray at the end, the way she responds to Luke as well is like, oh, it's peace and purpose, which is kind of an interesting like r- response, considering the last time she actually saw him, he was on the ground and she'd like beaten him up and was disagreeing <laughs> with him and saying you're wrong and running off. It's like, yeah. at that point, I guess she's kind of reconciled that in her mind as well. Yeah. So. And I think she clearly got a very powerful impression of Luke's state of mind through the force when she felt him dying. Mm-hmm. So I think Luke sent a very clear message with his death. Um, right, then we have a question from Temor on Twitter. Why was Luke trolling Kylo so hard? Did it make things worse for him in the end? Do you have an answer to that, Kirsty? Um If it means, did it make it worse for Kylo? Yes and no. I feel like it's what he needed. Mm. Uh, even though it's painful to watch as a Kylo yeah. fan. Yeah, um, same. I guess it does mean, does it make things worse for Kylo? I guess it does mean does it make things worse for Kylo and yeah I I do think it's like a good thing for him ultimately like you said it's painful to witness but I do think it's about helping Kylo it's not just about humiliating him although it does that as well and that's what Luke wanted yeah I mean it's kind of how you can look at Ray shutting the door as well it's like yes it is um, a response to Kylo's behavior that if you're like from Kylo's perspective it's like oh why is she being so mean and shutting me out but it is what he needs. Mm, definitely. And I think the story will validate that. So Exactly. Do you want to read out the next one? Sure. So Amelia asks, based on these words, strike me down in anger and I'll always be with you. Do you think Force Ghost Luke will linger around in episode nine to haunt Kylo or to help him see the error of his ways? I think we've both established that we want him to help Kylo see the error of his ways. Although it wouldn't be opposed to a bit of haunting. (laughs) Yeah, it would probably be a bit of both. (laughs) I think it'd be a real waste if he's not used as a force ghost, so... Yeah. 
I'd say I'm like ninety percent confident he will be, but again, I don't want to be absolute about anything here. So yeah, that's the thing. We are early out, and I've I've said like no predictions for nine, but you just know it's going to happen. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I haven't been back since and like listened to our predictions for episode eight, but we were probably way off on like plot things. Oh yeah, like can you remember I did that whole speculative plot of episode eight? Oh, like based on the assumption that Kylo would be coming to Arc two. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, like that is like ninety nine percent bullshit. But I don't like regret having written that. That was still really fun and an, and an enjoyable exercise. And like it's the kind of I think no, I did already do it for episode nine. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just fan fiction, really, isn't it? Oh yeah, it's but fan like, fiction. Yeah. yeah, I think the stuff about plot you're bound to get wrong because really we're not going on. We're we're feeding on scraps, and often it's spoilers that turn out to be not true. But yeah. in terms of character dynamics, I don't think we were too far off. Oh yeah, no, definitely. And I think that's what I can feel good about because I think in terms of themes, it's like, okay, I did get things right. And I know that in my speculative plot, I did pose a scenario where Snoke presented a helpless and bound Ray to Kylo and said that he needed to kill Ray as his final challenge and Kylo wouldn't do it. So I did get that right. But I got the context and everything surrounded it completely wrong. So, But that's the biggest part of that. That's that's the most important thing so yay <laughs> <laughs> anyway victory yes um right so then after luke vanishes from crate we see the actual real luke um force projecting himself no it's astral projecting himself across the galaxy and yeah you see the physical toll it's taken on him and yeah i i found it a really powerful scene to be honest i remember i found it confusing the first time i saw it because it felt like there were so many things going on and there were so many feelings you know because at first you're like yay luke woo!" because he's still there he's alive and then when i saw him collapse onto the rock i was like oh god oh god luke but then he starts getting up and i was like oh thank god he's okay <laughs> and then he sits up and then he disappears and i was like oh what a roller coaster exactly it's a complete roller coaster (laughs) and i think the first time i saw it i was just like i think actually in the premiere when i saw it um at the royal albert hall like i literally audibly heard someone like across the theater they must have been quite loud i think i heard someone go oh no (laughs) like some like profound expression of like grief oh no yes it was pretty sad um but yeah i i do think it's a great end scene for the character and i think it's very moving and beautiful what what do you think about it christy oh yeah i love it so much um i was spoiled going in so i knew what was going to happen but still it was really powerful and it kind of tears me up every time so Yeah. yeah just seeing him look out at the suns and the look on his face as well he's like yes he's achieved that piece um and yeah found his purpose again like ray says this was what he was able to do to save the resistance and become that beacon of hope again in the galaxy yeah and yeah he just does have that like look of like the farm boy luke in his eyes like when he's looking to those two sons and there's something so profound about that that he's rediscovered that part of himself and he feels like restful again because yeah he was so tormented and so like heartbroken and shattered by everything it's nice to see luke 
like go back to who he was before to an extent while still having while still looking to the future because obviously that's the whole point of looking to the suns in in a new hope that is about dreaming of something bigger than yourself and like looking to the horizon hoping for adventure and yeah it's that whole peace and purpose he does still have a purpose there are still things he can do to make a difference he's just going to do them from beyond the grave <laughs> yeah it's very powerful and again like watching revenge of the sith last night and seeing him there as a baby with owen and baru mm. um, wow yeah. really full circle <laughs> yeah but yeah star wars is so wonderful with this visual language and it very clearly encapsulates that um yeah it's amazing yeah. so we have another question here from wide birdie um i have mixed feelings about the legend of luke i like the complexity but can this luke work both for mature me and the broom boys who need a fairy tale are those stories in a natural opposition is this story in star wars a kind of violation wow that's heavy <laughs> i think it does work for both and i think that's what's so great about it because mm. we see it with broom boy at the end right that they are acting out luke with the figures on crate mm. um it just probably works in quite a different way yes yeah no definitely i think the character operates on different planes because i think if you're looking at like luke is like an analogy for like a real type of person he's almost like gone through his midlife crisis and he's like coming to terms with like his own like mortality and like thinking what is the place for me now you know and he looks back at his legacy and he only sees the bad things he doesn't see the good things and i think it is easy to be like that when you're older like i don't say this from the best position of experience because i'm still relatively young um but I, I have encountered older people who do look back at their past and they often feel more regrets than satisfactions, you know? You tend to focus on the mistakes you made and the things you would have done differently rather than thinking about your achievements and how you might have helped people. It's easier to obsess over the bad things. And I think that's what Luke does. And I think it's a powerful and helpful story for more mature people who like, are in a similar place to Luke in terms of where they are in their life. Because I think it does say, no, you can still do good and you can still reconnect with that part of yourself that you once were. And even though you might have made mistakes and messed up, that doesn't mean that you haven't also done good things and you haven't inspired people to do good things. Yeah. I think with Luke's story across the film, it is like this demystification of the legend, but then you see it built up in this more honest way, yeah. right? Because... Ray goes to him with this notion of Luke as a legend, but it's not really through understanding exactly what he's done, or yeah. at least it's with this idealized version. But then she learns at the end what he actually has done to help the resistance. And it's kind of mm -hmm. like how Rose looks at Finn in a way. Yeah. That the hero is kind of stripped away, but then built up again. Yes. Um, so it's, yeah, it becomes that fairy tale again, but it's one that actually holds real significance to her because it's something that she experienced saw and helped her yeah so yeah it's both i guess yeah because yeah like to those children they're not going to be thinking about it in psychological terms but that doesn't mean the story of this hero going to face down all these 8080s and defeating the evil kylo ren in combat by tricking him with his cleverness and his amazing skill in the force that is the story that the younger people would be getting from it for the most part 
And that's still a powerful and inspiring story for them. You know, the story of this lone figure standing against this army. And yeah, I think it's great that you have the simple story like that and then the more complex psychological story alongside it. Mm -hmm. Oh, boy. (laughs) I know, there's so much. There is. Keep talking forever. Luke and the Last Jedi is my favourite Luke. Yeah, same. I just find him so fascinating and... I think having this conversation, it just makes me appreciate the richness of how the character's handled even more. It's really great. Um, But yeah, I think we can probably leave the discussion here for now because we've been talking for a long time. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so I'm Rachel. You can find me at Star Wars Nonsense on Tumblr and at Journal of the Star Wars on WordPress. Where can people find you, Kirsty? I'm Bastila Bay on Tumblr and Scavengers Horde on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening and until next time. Bye. Bye.